Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't like blood. are a little deep this morning very deep uh, <laughs> so hoarse so deep i am optimus prime and i am optimus prime's brother little brother septimus prime <laughs> did he have a brother he must have optimus optimus uh, yeah what's after prime secunda primo secunda Andy Secundo, <laughs> friend of the pod, Andy Secundo. What what listener would I think you're missing in all of that is that this is with Gorley and Rust. Oh, yeah. And uh, right in front of me right now is a, a co-host and a friend of mine, Matt Gorley. And right in front of me is a co-host and friend of mine, Paul Rust. And what do we do here, Matt? What well, do we do with this podcast? I'll tell you. We talk about horror, thriller, and occasional cozy flicks at length. It's a cozy cast. It's easy listening. Mm-hmm. We do uh, a Patreon as well. That's, That's right. patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust, where you can get all kinds of bonus content, That's including right. feature-length film commentaries, mailbag episodes. Mm-hmm. And if you subscribe at the baby xenomorph level, you get your name read on this podcast, which I am about to do here with just a, a few names. Ooh. Just to uh, just to, welcome and thank you, and it's only two names this time, and that is Gavin Goodwin, um, and uh, yes, okay, and uh, hold on, there's always something else to Gavin read Goodwin. in there, and of course, um, and of course, uh, 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 BL, just BL. 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 I think you wanted the Southern Warrior to read it. BL is a bub. <laughs> BL is a bub. Do, uh, does the um, uh, uh, Southern Lawyer, is his thing maybe that he can stretch out extra syllables in just once? So if how would how could he stretch out BL to multiple syllables? BL. <laughs> I rest my diphthong case. I rest my past, present, and tense cases. Okay, listen. Oh, my God, that's good, Matt. No. Well, that was more the Southern lawyer, because you were just channeling him. Oh, yeah. He was the one who came up with that like funny uh, play on words. I don't have anything to do with it. 
Now we are horse. We we should talk about yeah, why uh, our for, voices that's are little, right. Go for it. Um, uh, but that was a good kind of like suspenseful sting at the beginning. Like what? It's why? A, it's a hook. Voices? You get them hooked. <laughs> yeah. You get a little business done. So they sit through the business, and then why? Why so horse? Yeah, that after the titles that uh, uh that it goes to this. Um, speaking of just. Real quick, yeah. Um, discursive as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the right word or discre- digressive? Digressive. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's better. That's better. Discursive. What the? I'm not sure. I know what discursive w- means. Yeah, I don't even know Disc- what that means. Discursive. I can't uh, even figure that out. Knowing what I know of cursive. Yeah, discursive. I mean, I don't want to discursive, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of out on the way out. You know what? I don't want to know. I'm not going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, that was it. discursive by God. <laughs> Uh, but just mentioning the uh, uh, title screens of, uh, of TV shows. Yeah. Uh, you ever uh, remember the fun of, you know, how like three, four seasons into a sitcom or something, they mm. can start using some of the fun images and clips from previous episodes oh, sure. that are really going to be yeah. high impact when you're watching it. So right, you're like, right. oh, right. Growing pains. They flip the sweater inside out and put it back over. That's maybe not growing. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, just, different strokes. Dudley got molested by the bike store guy. Yeah, put it they, in the they, titles. They have that in one visual <laughs> in, the, in the opening credits. Uh, um, but what was always really exciting was when you'd be watching an episode and you're like, oh, it's leading up to what I see in the credits. Oh, like yeah. you're watching a oh, rerun. You're right. And you're like, this is the episode where they slide down the banister and run yes. to the door. <laughs> That's so true. And now Mission Impossible, every episode, I believe, used to show you, in the opening titles, would show you scenes from that episode. Oh, like a little flash forward? Yeah. That's and cool. And I think the De Palma one does that as well. The movie, I think, does that as hey, well. speaking of De Palma. I know. The uh, D-Man is the guy who uh, directed <laughs> this movie. He is D's cursive. Uh, oh, yeah. So just so you guys know, our voices. Uh, our horse voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our bedroom <laughs> vocals. Or maybe um, maybe not bedroom for me. Maybe more kind of like guest bedroom or sort of. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm like. Of the fold-out bed of the living room. Converted like, attic for me. Converted basement. <laughs> but we had a. A really fun show last night. Your yeah. band Townland performed. Opened uh, up for your band Don't Stop or We'll Die, yeah, who and, uh, knocked my socks off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we sang our hearts out, mm-hmm. knocked our so- socks off. You guys off. did a cover of The Man and Me. That's right. That was so goddamn good. Oh, thank you, have, You don't have a recording of that, do you? No, no. You no. should. Oh. It's so good. Maybe it's... You know what? Maybe we got a, 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 a record. Uh... uh, uh I'll look into that for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you. That's a very kind uh, thing of you to say. Uh, um, you said it's one of your favorite uh, Dylan songs. It may be my the favorite thing. Dylan song. Yeah. What do you like about it? Well, Our cover thing, aside. It doesn't sound like him. You know yeah. what I mean? Except when he goes like, nearly any task. Yeah. But other than that, there were times when I first heard that, that I questioned that it was Dylan. I go, this kind of sounds like Dylan, but I'm not sure. I think why it is, is maybe it's a, I'm by no means a Dylan, uh, not a, even an expert, Dylan File. I'm not even close to yeah, either me of those. Either. Uh, I love him. I love his music, but I couldn't. Uh, but um, if I could guess, there was like a late, 60s period where he did like a croony voice like yeah. that's on like self-portrait yeah and that's the same year that 
uh, Man in Me, uh, New Morning, I think is the album mm. that it's on. And so he, you might have caught him right in the kind of mid croon back to the Dylan voice thing that might, hey, that could be the Gorley sweet spot. It may be because also the production on that is it's more produced than a typical Dylan song. Yeah. It feels like, and, and it, it feels like band. deliberate. It mm-hmm. doesn't, cause even when his songs are produced like Rolling Stone, it does feel kind of like, let's just do a take, which I like. Yeah. And that's very Dylan, but this yeah. one feels more structured yeah. and produced. There's something I just, it's polished. I, I like it. Yeah. It's polished. And also, yeah, it's pretty tight because that just little midsection of the, um, um, uh, from my toes up to my ears. Yeah, which yeah, when the, you sing that, one, it was so good. Oh, Matt, so thank good. You. That's the part I remember specifically. Thank about you, Matt. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking about it afterwards. We were like, "That's only once in the song. That's so like uh, 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 the restraint." Yeah. If if somebody wrote yeah, that little I know. chord and melody, it'd be six times all over right. the song, and you'd repeat it eight times at the end. Of and the it song. tells you how good the rest of the song is that, that you don't have to go back to that. Yeah, that's true. So, well, if Bob Dylan's listening, and we know he is, yes, Bobby, yes. we love you. Oh, we should. This I can't believe we're bearing the lead. Ever since the whole, we haven't talked much about the Will Smith debacle, but Will Smith's on. We'll call it a sabbatical, mm-hmm. but we know Bob Dylan's listening because he's now producing the podcast. <laughs> That's right. So Bob, great song. Bob, we love you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I guess we never told him specifically how we liked that song. Uh, yeah. Uh, we like the man in me, Bob. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe it, it, there was no like politicking about it. It was just basically Will went yeah. on a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. We were already like just emailing with Bob about the podcast in general. Right. I think it, it was one of a, I don't even, it, that's like how kind of fluid it was. No, I don't even remember who brought it up, but somebody was it just was like, Will. Oh, it was Will. Remember when Will said he wanted to take a leave and he, he goes, I know you've Bob been did. talking to Bob. Bob's big into podcast producing I'll I'll hook I'll train him, That's, and he did. And now yeah, we should and then they had that too, weekend where they he trained him how to run the podcast. Yeah, yeah at Big mics. Pink at the house, the big house <laughs> with the band. Yeah, um, it's been nice recording these at Big Pink. It is just being able to open in the windows and have the breeze come yeah. through. Big Pink Studios, very yeah. cozy. <laughs> Will Smith is on paid leave from his unpaid internship. <laughs> yes. Is that how we figured it out? I with think the checks? so. But I would like to say that also speaking of part, why we bring last night up, especially is that there was a number of with Gorley and Russ trustees and listeners yeah. at the show. And the two gentlemen that drove all the way down from Fresno, Dylan, who we met last night, yeah. came all the way from Rhode Island, who was just a wonderful soul. Pleasure to meet. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful soul. Betsy. Oh, Betsy, you got to meet Betsy. Yeah. Uh, 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 longtime listener, Betsy, uh, who um, on the day of this episode coming out, you can see Betsy on Jeopardy. That's right. Yes. Which is May 4th, right? Yeah. Uh, well, May, oh, it'll be on May 5th. 6th. Well, oh, May 6th. Yeah. May, May the 4th be with you, Matt. Oh, oh my God. My did God. I forget to May wish the 4th, you? May 4th be, the 4th with, be you. with you? May the And also, 4th you. Yes, fourth you. God, it's so cool how May the Fourth be with you has just gotten cooler and cooler <laughs> over the last like five years. Yeah. When my parents started recognizing it, I knew it was finally getting its due and had become real cool. That's usually when things 
reach peak coolness. Yeah, Facebook got awesome when my parents got on it. Star Wars. Uh, uh, Instagram. Uh, Knott's Landing. Yeah, Nazis. I remember when it was for the kids. Not Nazi Landing. <laughs> Nazis Landing. <laughs> a a primetime soap about a, a suburban <laughs> Nazi party family. Boo. Boo, boo, but don't green light that. Yeah, don't. We are staunchly anti-green light for Nazis landing. Yeah, red light that. Yeah, red light it. Anyway, and Bob Dylan was there last night too, so shout out to him because he just wanted to kind of get a feel for our music. That was weird to perform music for Bob Dylan. Yeah, well, he, but you know, I guess yeah. we felt comfortable doing the pod in front of him. Yeah. Uh, and talking movies in front of him, and he's a big movie fan. That's and right. It's funny, I almost kind of forgot Bob was there last night, but I think it was because he was wearing the disguise. That's right. He was dressed as Will Smith. Uh, as this Men in Black character. Yes, right. Which was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is this why you've come here? Listen to us. We're going to get to this movie, Carrie. Oh, yeah, because we are just rounding third. Yes. To use a baseball term, because baseball figures very heavily to Carrie. <laughs> uh, we're rounding third. The here closest this- we get to baseball is Children of the Corn being somewhat connected to Field of Dreams. Yeah. And there's plenty. They're running around a track all through Cary. I could have true. at least said we're on the last lap. Yeah. I could have gone with that. Uh, of the Spring King Fling, where we had 10 Stephen King movies that we chose. Then we chose them at random. Yeah. And then we've been watching them. And last week, uh, 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 we dingly dude. And now we're here at Cary. And we yeah. have uh, one left. That's right. And then and we're by. Good process of elimination it's the mist that's right yeah. that's correct there's no secret and then we're going to take a break and in that break you will receive your you know your usual film commentaries mm-hmm. your mailbag episodes we will likely do a cozy bracket tournament yeah of the films that we've covered since last year's cozy bracket mm-hmm. tournament and the in myers we trust episodes will drop i think twice a week so stay subscribed. Yeah, there'll be a lot of Mikey Myers uh, 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 reflections because we'll be doing a commentary on Halloween 4. Yes, that's right. Very now let's, fun. in honor of those episodes dropping, but let's, we haven't decided what we're going to do for the next season coming on the heels that's of that. Right. But choices, I'm looking choices. at the comments and mm-hmm. there is there is strong support for the Yuppie Nightmare mm. season that you pitched. Mm-hmm. And then the Chucky movies, the Child's Play movies. So I don't know. Those seem like the top contenders to me. I'll have to. There's so many comments I'll that's have great. to go through. Oh, but. my God. That's like, there's two choices. Uh, 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 filet mignon or lobster, delicious lobster from the sea. Now, are all those eight Chucky movies? Is, is that, that seems like it might be a tough slog, eight of them. Well, here, I've been reading the comments okay good i good i haven't since they went up so i might have missed uh uh i mean there was a a good chunk of them the discourse was not discursive (laughs) uh uh, but yeah lots of uh suggestions would you say i'm right though that those are the top i I agree with you 100 percent yeah uh i agree with you 100 percent i just stand by it make sure i wasn't leaving anything out no that's i feel like the distant third was like the 90s kind of final destination movies yes yeah but yep yeah uh no but very 
thoughtful of you to lay it out that way. Um, yeah, uh, uh, with the Child's Play movies, I, I've i seen um, more than half of them. I think I've probably seen like five of those. The ones I haven't seen are the more, the two parts four and five, like comic mm. Uh, not comic book, like yeah, funny, right. funnier. Um, seen parts one through three, love them. Okay, um, and I think actually the uh, the next ones like Bride and Seed, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see because uh, I haven't seen them and it, they seem weird. Uh, trying to think, of the last I saw a remake, um, the recent one. No, I saw oh. one that was like. Before right, the one with uh, Aubrey Plaza, it was the oh. it was another one because the creators, two different properties, I think owned it and could mm. make. But I saw one that was like, um, wait, they made like like Never Say Never Again and Octopussy. They had two different. Yeah, let's. Uh, <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. Um, but oh, but the thing that the comments were kind of laying out is, I think they are varied enough. Okay. That they would be fun to watch. Okay, good and, to know. And um like uh and maybe even less on <sighs> careful. We don't want to get our expectations too high. But I think less difficult with the diminishing returns, but maybe because there's never oh. a height of heights to fall from or something. I it's see. just like, it's fun. They're fun movies. Okay. And That's Chucky's good to know. really funny. Yeah. I was daunted because I, I could see liking getting three in and going, oh, this is great. And then four or five, you're kind of like, well, oh, this again, this again, this again. I, and that's coming from an experience. But I haven't seen those. So maybe yeah. it is this again, this again. I mean, look, I'm breaking out in a sweat here, Matt. Me too, me Not too, literally, man. but like uh, emotionally, because I feel like I'm the person who's like saying, Hey, we could go to Paris or Orlando. And I'm like, we're going to Orlando. And then now it's on me if we day three of the Orlando trip. No, it's not on you. We make, we go together, buddy. We, you go, I go, Rose. But also, but not just us two, the listeners. Like, what if people, it's a bummer. I mean, I guess the consensus, it did seem like Child's Play was the winner over Yuppie Nightmares. I think so. I don't know. I don't know, But Matt. what if we do this? What if we do both, and those are just our next two seasons, and it's only a matter of which one <laughs> That's good. we do first? That I mean, you we can, just saw, took away so much anxiety off the table. Don't worry about it. We do both. Let's just let let's serve time, our trustees. Nuts. We work for them. We're like civil servants, and we'll do Child's Play first, and then we'll do Yuppie Nightmares okay. as we kind of probably, would that get us into fall? Wouldn't that be yuppie nightmare? Seems a good fall. I think so because um, I feel like there's more sweaters. Of course, in, there in are yuppie nightmares. Yeah, shawl collar sweaters. Yeah, V-necks. And maybe if we look at them as chinos, um, like they, it could only go in this order. If we're gonna do two, these two. Doesn't life work this way, Matt? Don't we go from child's play to being having yuppie nightmares? I was just thinking this, from child to adult. So we start with mankind on all fours, then mankind on two legs, and then we're going to have to find some season to do just elderly horror movies like VFW and Cocoon. <laughs> 
Is there a movie VFW? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know this. Like George went and Stephen Lang and they're veterans of that. They're like veterans club and they get attacked or something. Is this recent? Or? Yeah. In the last few years, it's, um, I believe it was produced by Fangoria. Our dear friend, Phil Nobile had oh. something to do with it. Oh, yeah. It's a great concept. I haven't seen the movie. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, our mutual drummer, Tony Thaxton, amazing drummer. Yeah. Drummer for Townland last night and Don't Stop or We'll Die. He has a story about how he, at the Chicago airport, um, or at the, uh, at an airport, he went to it, went through security, got to his gate, and next to his gate was a bookstore with George Went signing copies of his book. At the airport? At the airport, which in many ways that is like brilliant because you're sort of like, that probably gets more yeah, people right. than just going to a bookstore in the city where you might right. live. You know, you're just getting everybody from home. <laughs> but it's also a little like... Wait, so the only way you can get George Wett's autograph is buying a plane ticket and going <laughs> through security? And maybe not even in your city. So right, you have to right, go from Phoenix to Chicago, land, get a signature, and get right back on. <laughs> like, I heard Wett. Wentz in Phoenix. Okay, okay, we'll chase him down. We'll get five of my favorite authors are doing signings in in Dallas area hub airports, and I'm flying all around the Southwest <laughs> to get signatures. I mean, I think yeah, maybe he's on the Vanguard. Is like a, a, a soon Jonathan Franzen's going to be at airports and stuff, but <laughs> outside of some um, was a, a, what are those called? Uh, not Hamburger Press. What are those called? Hamburger Habit. What's the H? Hamlet? Hamburger Hamlet? Mm. Hamburger Habit? Ham, uh, what's the dumb store where you get newspapers and books? Oh, Hudson. Hudson's. Hudson's. Oh, yeah. Hudson News. Very important uh, uh, place to get very important news. Hudson. Yeah. Um, and $40 earbuds that aren't even Apple. Well, if you're listening, Stephen King, you should try this out. Stephen King. Yeah, do signings in airports. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he's probably wanting to know, what are these guys' thoughts on the adaptation of uh, my, uh, my first book and the first adaptation of a Stephen King movie? Great segue. It's 1976. This Ooh, movie fun. has been given to a young director named Brian of Palma. And here we are today to discuss this film. Yeah. Now, I kind of want, you know, sometimes I call on you to be my shaman or my my Sherpa through Sh a movie. Sherparone. Because I feel like you you know this movie well. I've had a uh, com complicated relationship hey, with this right film. On. Okay. In that I saw it when I was young and liked it, just watched it like any other horror movie and then hadn't yeah. seen it for years. Mm -hmm. Watched it. Um, maybe five years ago for I Was There Too because I had Piper Laurie on I Was There wow. Too. Very cool. Ooh, she was wonderful. Holy cow, that's awesome. But I didn't like that, the movie when I watched it. Mm -hmm. I liked it this time. But um, uh, since you had watched, you le liked it less as you did as a kid when you were an adult. Yeah, for some reason or five for, years for ago it really yeah. didn't work for me. What was and not working for you though at that time you watched it? <sighs> You know, I mean, any longtime listener in this podcast knows that I've been trying to figure out the riddle of Brian De Palma, as probably many people have. Mm -hmm. And in that yeah. sense that, you know, we've talked about how 
John Carpenter, you know, a lot of his genius is that maybe he doesn't quite know his own genius and some mm-hmm. of it's lightning in a bottle. And mm-hmm. I, I feel that way with De Palma, but where John Carpenter doesn't take himself very seriously, Brian De Palma does take himself very seriously. So at times it really is inspired and brilliant. And then at times it's so indulgent. Like the, here's the thing. Allow me to speak freely, and I apologize. Of course, go for it. By the time this movie gets going, I really like it, and it's Mm -hmm. great that it sticks the landing so well. And Mm -hmm. by it's so good by the time you get to the climax. Mm -hmm. But that opening scene is so problematic for me, and I don't mean this in a prudish way. Mm -hmm. It it just seems odd to me. The like fetishization that feels like Brian De Palma just wants to watch girls in the locker room because the music the slow-mo and i'm not even talking about the period stuff because that's very relevant like if you just cut to that yeah it would be great but i can't get past that this is uh i hear you buddy i know Uh, i mean i hear people um 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 having that response um this is where I do the gentle pushback. No, but this is what I want, though, because okay. I, 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 and I mean this. I want to understand this, and this isn't like me saying, "Hey, uh, distant relative, explain to me why you think Christianity is effective." It's. I'm not trying to have like a discourse about it. I really yeah. want to know, and I actually want to believe too. Yeah, well, so. and I want to hear your side of it too, because I think uh, anytime somebody says oh i'm watching this thing and it feels like um there's sort of a misogynist misogynistic male gaze happening Mm -hmm. 99 percent of the time that person is correct yeah (laughs) like it's just like built in so like you feeling that way i think is like a a valid response especially uh 2022 versus 1976. Yes, of course. Of um, course. But uh, the pushback I was going to give on it. Yeah. And this, uh, um, uh, I think it's kind of built around uh, the movie and throughout, but like that beginning is like uh, men's discomfort with menstruation. Yeah. Um, women having periods. And so what I like about that opening is it feels like a little trick. It's like, Mm. come here, boys. I'm opening up the locker room door for you to sneak in. Look at this. Look at that. Don't you love this? Don't you like that? Come a little closer into the steam. Fucker, this is period. Like, I got you. And it's just like a response of like, oh, you tricked my male gaze into seeing something that is rarely in movies and will be the like catalyst for the rest of the movie. See, this is why I'm so glad you're here because I think that that is brilliant observation. And then it always leads me back to it the same It can be both though. Quandary. It can be you and it can be my But, respect. but yeah, that's yeah. what it leads yeah. me back to yeah. is going, yes, absolutely. You're right. But is, is that what Brian Palma, De Palma intended? I still can't tell. Oh, I think so. Because then when you have a scene where like, the principal is looking at like the blood on the teacher's shorts. Yeah. And he's uncomfortable by it. Yeah. Now the idea of like, I'm going to turn somebody's misogyny or their misogynistic like gaze on them. 
Maybe that's not on the top of his mind, but I that's think, what I mean. That's what I, I'm curious about. But I think there's, you know, it's also in the opening address to kill. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's the same thing um, in a shower and then she's uh, attacked. So it's like, I mean, if you just look at uh, like, ugh, sorry, I'm going to say this like aesthetic wig, maybe it has, yeah, nothing to do with the philosophy behind it. It's just like, oh, that's very effective. You get kind of yeah. like lulled in by very pleasurable things to look at according to the director. And then, and then you get like hit with something that's not as pleasant. Same with blowout at. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then um, body double. It's funny because Carrie has these scenes of her in the shower. Dressed to kill has those scenes. Angie Dickinson is using a body double in those. And then by mm. body double, which is like the last time he makes one of the, like an erotic thriller. Not that this is necessarily erotic, but yeah. just like a, a, um, he's talking about how it's like a body double. There's shots about right. body doubles and stuff. We loved body double. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but remember uh, how long it took for that to grow on me. And in fact, it took like weeks, even months after I saw it for me to, in my yeah. memory, have a fond recollection of it more than I did when I saw it. I did. Yeah. Like it. yeah. No, I, I think this is like, again, like valid to bring up because it's, um, somebody told me you know, 10 years ago, the, uh, a group of people, not everybody knew each other. This was probably more in somebody's mid like twenties where you're like, can have an evening where you're hanging out with a group of people you don't fully know. It's just people mixing together in fun ways. Uh, but they decided to put on Carrie and, half of the people watching were laughing at the ridiculousness of like the shower scene. And uh, if half a group of people watching it are like falling out in that moment, you know, it's something worth discussing for sure. But this is, this is De Palma to a T. He seems to be divisive and I don't even mean it controversially because I know there's some controversy over his misogyny and stuff like that. I don't mean it that way. I just, I know. Cause I mean, God knows we watch, all these, you know, even Halloween, Friday the 13th, there is ex- just as exploitative. Right. He just does it somehow more pointedly and artfully. Yeah. And not necessarily artfully, meaning tastefully. It's provocative. It's provocative. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, really yeah. provocative. And it does, it is in your face. And it's, and it's meant to be like, you need to think about this sometimes. And then sometimes I feel like that's serving his greater desire of, just being there in the room himself. I can't yeah. tell, but that's what's so fascinating. Well, this about it. is maybe, you know, if it's the uh, uh, iceberg and we're getting like lower and yeah. lower, I do come to a place sometimes, especially with these like 70s movies where auteurs were allowed mm. because of a lack of studio control and being given economically the ability to kind of do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, you get see some looks into people's brains. Yeah, you're not uh, kidding. And so <laughs> I know that it, Brian De Palma's brain is mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I like how it's mixed up. Yeah. And so if this sound, this is... If what I'm seeing is partly his lurid... Uh-huh interest and uh purient mm-hmm. was that the right word purient yeah. purient like interests and things right that's fine by me yeah yeah i i at least it's not gross it's not like oh he's really into people eating bugs 
I love talking to you about this and it makes me want to watch more De Palma movies with you because I don't, it really is. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just, funny. I think partly being a fan of like Brian De Palma, like part of the fun of it is like, you have to be the defender and like be like, yeah. no, this is why they, you know, that's part of the fun. So yeah. yeah well, yeah. here's another example <laughs> because within any De Palma movie, yeah. there's so much like, wow. And so much. Wow. <laughs> so I'm just blown away by the fact that the, the scene between sister Spacek and um, William cat yeah. in the prom when they're dancing is so tender. It's very simple, but yeah. it, it seems to have a real maturity about it, even though they're teenagers, you uh -huh. know? And then like the Nancy Allen, John Travolta scenes in the car are like, he's like writing teenagers as if he, with the understanding of a teenager, he's stunted. Like he doesn't, all the cool kids are written so like he wrote them when he was a teenager. They're not nuanced. They're not. Uh, oh, um, they particularly uh, John Travolta and Nancy Allen's that's what characters. Mean. He has the teen. He has a teenager's understanding of teenagers. Yeah, and he seems like he never progressed past that. But then, how does he turn out that William Cat? Oh, yeah, sissy SpaceX it. scene. That's so yeah. tender. Well, it's funny. The Sissy Spacek and William Cat scene is the other, in addition to that opening you just brought up, was the other thing that, like, uh, when I was watching it, I had the thought of, like, um, I've just been thinking over the last, like, a couple months about, uh, uh, like, oh, when somebody's, um, uh, has a clear style uh -huh. that almost pronounces itself like Stanley yeah. Kubrick yeah, or something. Yeah. And you're so aware of, I don't know what the right word to use, the formalism of it uh -huh. or the presentational yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Um, the moment when it clicks over where all of that works in service of like the feeling and how you can have a moment where you're not, it's not, oh, I'm so involved in the emotions. I don't even recognize anymore that it's formal or what it, like how it's presented. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see that it's being presented to me in a stylish way at the same time that I'm feeling like uh, uh feeling. So if it's basically boiled down to like, style and feeling mm -hmm. which is maybe sort of like the where it can be divergent paths with like Brian De Palma movies and I get it because there's sometimes I watch the movies where there's a stylistic flourish that I like love because it just looks cool but I fall out a little bit just because I'm like I'm not yeah. there emotionally that's a good way to put it yeah the th scene between the two of them that is tender between the two of them is so crazy stylish and how it's like whipping around them 360 yeah. degrees. But it's the feeling is matched so much with it, but it doesn't make me stop thinking about how this is like 
a virtuoso shot. It's kind of cool agree. that I can have two brains going on at the same time. Oh, that's, that's funny what you should say that yeah. because I was watching that scene completely engrossed, then realized it was a 360 shot. Yeah. And it didn't take me out at all. And I wasn't even conscious that I was, th- I just, I just noted that it was a 360 shot. I didn't think about the mechanics and right. anything. And then he goes on to do this in body double and it's so jarring. Yeah. The body way. double one is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's but even kind of one for blowout. That like at the end with the fireworks that seems yeah. to go for that. And even though it's the ending, like the carry one works most for, I would say that scene where they're talking, the camera's going around them is my favorite scene in Carrie mm-hmm. and one of my favorite scenes in any De Palma movie. Uh, the, um, the like, the, the thing you're saying about the, um, Right. How could you have kind of like a nuanced, gentle characterization kind of up against this sort of like broad, you know, I didn't, it's funny. I didn't think about John Travolta and Nancy Allen in relationship to, um, Sissy and William, (laughs) Sissy's basic and William cat. I was thinking of them as, uh, and this never occurred to me until I was watching this time that, it's really funny how, to me, how uh, the way Amy Irving and William Katz figuring out how they're he's going to take Carrie. I always thought that was funny that it's like she asks him once, then you get the scene of him just sit, sitting at the TV. He goes, "Okay, I'll do it." Watching some James Garner Western, by is the that way. What yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it looks amazing. What if he was watching like the 1994 Maverick? I was like, what? <laughs> or the remake of Carrie? It's <laughs> like that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't see any warning signs. Uh, but the uh, um, and partly I think that's just because it's like a filmmaker knowing like. God, those scenes of watching somebody try to convince somebody are fucking boring, right? Wouldn't yeah. it be nice just to be able to accomplish this like with one sentence? It's so good. Um, and then what I thought was funny with the Nancy Allen and John Travolta stuff, how it plays against that is their relationship is so fucking cuckoo and wild where she's like, come and kiss me. Yeah. Then he kisses her. She bites him. He's like, what the with you and she's like come here he's like okay <laughs> like yeah. the there is no straight line no. into how these two get to what they want and so it's just such a funny c- contrast but that contrast is brilliant and then i see the scene and i was like did did De Palma just have a weird uh push-pull relationship with that family dog one time and is writing Which this we don't just like a dog that's like <laughs> bites and then nuzzles and then yeah. bites and nuzzles because oh, yeah, it yeah, seems yeah. so primal um and then you talking about those 360 shots really quickly sorry yeah sure and and i'm sorry to sound like a broken record but every time i think i understand De palma another question opens up and it folds in on itself of course so the fact that he's and so i don't mean to sound like i'm a fucking apostle no, or even not. an uh, De palma file no 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 okay. and you don't need to defend that okay. because i'm also not a hater i'm a, i'm a um uh like almost want to study it academically or something. I want to figure it out, but I don't know that there's an answer because like the 360 is the perfect, perfect example. 
it's he probably did it before in Dionysus 69 or obsession or something. I don't know, but he does it so artfully in this that yeah. it doesn't take you out. And then you go to body double and it's so fucking crazy in that movie. Is that him just saying this is a shot? I love, I'm going to do it and I'm going to ramp it up because I love it so much. Or is it also him saying now you think you've seen the 360 shot? I'm going to jar you with it. Is it conscious? I don't know. The brain yeah. of De Palma. I yeah. can't crack. No. Uh, but is that and then is that a good thing? How conscious is he of the impact it How much is it may or may not? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I wish I wasn't so obsessed with figuring that out f- for directors, you know? No, I think it's a, like part of it. It's like trying to get but to the But why can't I just let it go and enjoy it for what it is? Why am I asking these questions? But part of it is because you're right. He's so presentational. He's forcing you to ask he wants yeah. you. It's like that old theater Brechtian conflict of, of Bertolt Brecht want, never wanted to get too far into the reality because then the audience would lose sight of the message of the play. So you would have cast members come out and shout directly at the audience in their seats to jar them out of the willing suspension of disbelief. And yeah. I can't tell if that's what Diplomas do. Well, I guess that's what, you know, what the 360 thing is, what uh, is a little of what that is. Um, and I think De Palma did come out of sort of like Brechtian theater stuff. So like yeah. the like thing of like, yeah. um, also the, not uh, the, the, my body double is he saying, Hey, I know you, you know, in some way I've done the, this 360 shot, so I'm outdoing it. Or it's a comment on my, uh, 360 shot. The thing I also, uh, um, is the, um, I would never say he puts it as a outdoing uh, Hitchcock because obviously he worships him yeah. as, as anybody who has any taste, uh, you know, loves Hitchcock. <laughs> but um, there's times where I'm just like, oh, he's outdoing Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Like that whole, oh my goodness gracious, that part where it's just a all one thing of those two shitty people stealing the votes, making out, like, <laughs> kicking them under the stage. And yeah. then that goes around to that cable, just getting to see how a cable hooks up to things, uh, seeing know. it wobble against the stage and then up by that point in the sixties, uh, you wouldn't have the tech fifties and sixties yeah. with Hitchcock. You wouldn't be able to do that by seventies in the seventies. He's an old fart. He wouldn't be able to have the, oh, right. so it's just, uh, that's why I like prefer. I know this may be sacrilegious, but I prefer Brian De Palma to Alfred Hitchcock because it's just somebody like pushing things a little further, even with the the prurience as well, because it's right? there in Hitchcock, but only as far as you could go in the fifties. So it'd be really curious to see if Hitchcock was De Palma's age in the seventies. Would we have? Yeah, De Palma, I, there's sometimes I, I gotta say I'll watch Hitchcock movies and I was like I wish things were less restrictive when he was making this because yeah, then yeah. you could just and it's not even like so I could see more gore or blood or something it's just like you could get a little bit more at somebody's like weird hangups or something yeah, or I, right. I don't know it'd be less like uh, be easier to get to that or something but um with uh, it's funny if we we should watch Raising Cain too because like I feel like body double is like pushing it in terms of like sex and violence and how much am I calling out your awareness that this is a movie 
mm-hmm. it's about movies being made and versus like raising cane which is like pushing it in terms of like uh like how a store like it's presented in a way that is so insane i mean it just like doesn't uh oh, watch it's it. not how anybody would ever tell a story like that <laughs> and so it's more just kind of like maybe i think that might be up your alley because it's kind of like pushing the ridiculousness but not necessarily in terms of like the luridness so you're saying that it's it's no question all of this is uh self-aware in that movie where these other ones that are a little more back and forth, it's hard to tell. Is that oh, what you well, mean? Well, you know, thank you for asking that. Cause what I was going to say was, you know, we're creators. You yeah. make things. I think what it is, if I had to like guess somebody making choices in the moment that feel right. And then the idea of what was intentional or not, it's just, it's hard to um, not pin down. I think it's like worth to continually ask that. It's just like, um, because it's a way I think of like getting at, oh, when somebody makes a choice that feels right, what's behind that? Mm-hmm. Is it their emotional interest mm. or is it like a, like a, a, br- a, a br- left brain or right brain structural brain story choice of some kind that yeah yeah and I, it's weird right when somebody like does things over and over again and you're like is that left brain or right brain is it somebody being like or is it, i know i'm yeah. repeating this and uh yeah and i'm trying to get deeper at it or is it even a third option which is uh I'm repeating it because I want to repeat it, but I'm going to tell you it's because I'm commenting on something yeah. in the past. Because even watching that De Palma documentary, mm-hmm. incredibly insightful, if unreliable as a narrator. I don't even know that I believe him as a narrator because like Lucas, how much is he attaching to something from the past because he now knows the perceive the perception Lucas? of it? Well, like Lucas does that with Star Wars, oh, where he's, oh, always, oh, oh. he's always retrofitting the past with, yeah, I meant to. Yes. You know? And how much <laughs> is it Palma aware of the reaction to his films through the years, now justifying things with even critics' insights and stuff? And so he does come across to me as an unreliable narrator, yeah. and I have no proof of that. It just it just adds to the fucking mystery. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you're bringing up uh, uh, George Lucas is... Uh, like uh, many people might know this already, but the casting sessions for Carrie and yes. Star Wars were held together. So it is fun sometimes to be like, William Cat could have been Luke Skywalker. He re- yeah, there's footage of him reading for it. And yeah. That, that picture on um, Amy Irving's mother's, when they cut to her on the phone in the couch, and it's just yeah. a picture of Amy Irving and William Cat, you could be looking at Luke and Leia there because I think that Amy is Irving was, was the, That's right. That, the mom could have been a fan of a different type of Star Wars yeah. movie where she's like, <laughs> I love Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. This isn't my daughter and her boyfriend. Uh, Even though mothers always have framed pictures of their daughters with their high school boy facing f- frame onto camera. And but Amy Irving was, I think, the top runner up for Leia. And it would be then think of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher in Carrie. Not that that would have been the case necessarily, right. but how interesting. It would have been more likely the case that William Cat and Amy Irving would have been Luke and yeah. Leia than Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher would have been Sue and yes. uh, um, Tommy. And I am so, I love both those actors in this movie, yeah. but I, 
there's something, this is going to be so shallow of me, and uh-huh. I may have even said this before, but their curly 70s hair would have been so dated. Not that- Curls for the both of them, you're I right. Know. Not that Mark Hamill's feathered hair isn't, and they probably would have put her in her buns anyway, so- What would have they done with William Cat's hair for I the Luke Skywalker? I think he would have just had that, probably like a version like he did in Greatest American Hero, where it's a little shorter- <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> and then we're we'd have to see that all the way through Jedi. So like in 1983, we're seeing like a curly. Yeah. Is there a way you can? Uh, hey, I have wavy hair and stuff. I love waves, curls. Bring yeah. them on, yeah. baby. No judgment. Uh, but um, how would they work that as Luke Skywalker? Do you just like cut it down, or do you use straightener? But I don't think they would have. I think it's the 70s. They would have. They wouldn't even probably question it. And then you would have had Force Awakens, William Cat. With this long, gray, curly... I mean, that might actually have been pretty cool, but... The curls are... It, it has to be a choice for somebody uh, uh, when they're casting uh, yeah. William Cat. I wonder if this is how they felt when they were casting House. Maybe, because I, I remember thinking, oh, wow, Greatest American Hero. I love it. I couldn't get into him because of his curls. Isn't that horrible? No, yeah, no, it's not horrible. You're talking about a piece of entertainment. You're not talking about William. If you wanted to be your friend, you'd say curls be Absolutely. damned. My I wish friend. I had curly hair. You know? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I think curls are cool. Um, <laughs> you hear that, CNN? <laughs> I think curls are cool. Paul Russ, podcaster, thinks I curls love. are cool. Uh, I do think you know. It's it's like anything. Uh, everybody wound up the way things should. Yeah. Um, because I don't think I would. Out of the four that could have flipped anyway, if I had to, William Cat as Luke Skywalker would be the number one way I'd want it to go. If so, it you had, know. you mean over Mark Hamill, or if it had uh-huh. to go another way? If, Re- if, if no, I'd always oh, want Mark Hamill. Yeah. I'm just saying, if there had to be a change, mm. that's the one that I. But Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill work for that because they just have these like screen personas that are a little goofy. Yes. So it just kind of fits the soap opera or the space opera dish. With Carrie, it works just because, uh, I mean, they're really great actors. And I would say probably better than Mark Hamill. Yeah. And really good looking, especially for teens of the 70s, not space. Yeah. My God. Yeah. I mean, talk about attractive. Like, I mean, William Cat. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, as a heterosexual man, I could look at him and be like, William Cat is a gorgeous man. And then, as a heterosexual man, uh, looking at Amy Irving, I can be like, she is the most beautiful. She's gorgeous. All of them I mean, are. when I say most, I don't mean in Carrie, and I don't mean in the seventies. Oh. Amy Irving is the person that the way her look face interesting looks on camera gorly I, uh, I go gaga oh you got a little I mean it's a thing news. I've talked about with uh, uh, friends and uh, loved ones oh, so, oh I didn't realize it's, it's oh. known people know I love how yeah. Amy just how beautiful she looks uh, my wife Leslie we we both talk about like oh my god. Is there anybody more beautiful than like 1976 Amy Irving? Yeah. So the fact that, um, because yeah, you're saying that, that like they're so photogenic, it's better with Carrie because it's agree. such a photogenic like movie. Oh yeah, the yeah. cinematography. I mean, that yeah. just they yeah they 
they just shine. A cozy haze. But let me throw this at you. Sure. What if John Travolta was Han Solo? <laughs> oh my God. Vinny Barbara Solo? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I bet he, maybe he read. I don't know. I, I would assume he did. God damn it. And Nancy Allen, I could actually see as Leia because she's got some spunk. spice and spunk. Yeah. Nancy Allen as Princess Leia would have been pretty dope. Yeah, I think so too. Maybe it would have gotten complicated with Hamo with the two blondies up front. Mm, right. Maybe not. Maybe storybook wise, like yeah. fairy tale, it kind of works to have two blondies fall in love. Right. Uh, but the. Um, oh, you talking about George Lucas and them casting this together, and obviously Brian De Palma's part of the film brats of George Lucas mm -hmm. and Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, just looking at everybody's careers from like Brian De Palma's here of Carrie to like Brian, De, uh, to body double in 84. If you looked at everybody's careers and those spans, that just like small eight year gap, um, all of them in their own ways, like, in 1984-ish, wind up at the their own version of Wackadoodle that Brian De Palma has with Body Double. So it's like mm. uh, uh, Lucas and Spielberg with Temple of Doom. Mm -hmm. That's like the furthest they're pushing it. Um, uh, uh, with Coppola, he's doing a Rumblefish, oh. which is just this like... I've never seen that. Uh, it's surreal. It's just like an art movie. I didn't know that. Um, he did the outsiders and then he just adapted another SC Hinton book, but made it like, uh, I mean, it's, uh, visually bonkers. It's an, uh, just, if you put all these under the categories of bonkers, uh, <laughs> but then at the same time, uh, in the mid seventies, it's just like people who are like making, you know, people, what people consider still the best movies ever made. So, yeah. uh, I wonder if sometimes uh, it's not necessarily like conscious competition, but if somebody like starts going like, Jesus, my buddies did three Star Wars movies. What do I do? I do psychological thrillers. Fuck. Okay. Like, here we go. Body double. I'll do a drill through a whole. Get uh, me. Frankie goes to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry to talk about body double more. Oh, but, I don't uh, care. This is all I feel relevant. like the seeds are in uh, Carrie. Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of, just because that was his first real commercial hit and like a, like a dog, if you got reinforcement for something, you just like keep you know yeah. going back to like, oh, that worked, that worked. I mean, that like shock ending, which he invented uh, at, the end right? of, at the end of Carrie, I think so. It's just like been copied now. It's. The other thing I think, in addition to American Graffiti with the George Lucas of all, I think the two of them also like originated like the high school character actor vibe mm. with American Graffiti and Carrie. That's like people still use to this day. Anything before that, I feel like pre high school is like phony or yeah. Um, even though these actors all look like they're in their thirties, like, but uh, uh, or their late twenties, especially like. The, the scene between Ernest and Frank discussing like that, that jock guy who wants to come help with the ballots. Those just look like two 36 year olds. And that is maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh my God, man. Each it's, 
every time I watch it, it gets funnier <laughs> and funnier. It's just like, it's, I think the funniest scene of the movie. This, Ernest has no suspicion with this guy. <laughs> And then just all the like, what time's good? Eight's good. Eight's good for me. Yeah. The guy goes, uh, well, if you could be there at 630, eight, I'll be there at eight. That works for me. <laughs> so and it's cool too, because uh, I don't know. Yeah. If you've seen those movies like um, uh, Hi Mom uh, 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 and Greetings, Brian De Palma's like early movies. Mm. They're not like thrillers. They're like funny comedies. Is that those early like, De Niro ones? Yeah. Yeah. People can have kind of like funny improv yeah. stuff like that. Like watching that scene, you're just like, this guy's funny and he gets to be funny for like a minute here. Oh, it's like, a weird b- comedic break to take in the movie that and the tuxedo scene with the speeding up of the tape. Yeah. And then there's another comedic break with the, uh, yeah, the speeding up of the tape is sublime as far as I'm <laughs> like, it is inspired. Uh, uh, I think there was like a five year break. I didn't watch Carrie like in college. I think it was like watched it a lot in high school. Didn't, then watched it when I moved out to Los Angeles, like the first year I moved out to LA, and I was blown away. I was like, I forgot about the spin up motion. <laughs> but the uh, uh, there's also kind of like a funny little music sequence when the girls have to train or they're, they're getting yeah, punished. Yeah, I wrote that. The music in that, and I think each of those, even though though they're a little bit of a left turn, um, I feel like they're placed in there as a way to kind of be like this isn't going to get too heavy. Like, don't like, this is still fun. Like I haven't watched the carry adaptations, but I have to imagine they're like bleak. I, I would, think and they so like too. push the like bullying and stuff. Right. And just seeing like a funny, like hearing like a funny synth be like, yeah. It's like yeah. girls work out. It's like, well, this is the best version of seeing You're suddenly high school in, torment in meatballs. <laughs> do you think do you think there's a genre of music that is known as the meatball synth music <laughs> yeah yeah I think we just coined it I also like how the girls are slowing down in the exercise the music is slowing down yeah. too very funny it's very funny <laughs> I do think it's very funny I'm trying to coax you into like most I think the proper response to those scenes are like what the fuck is that Harry movie and they go and like try on tuxes <laughs> Uh, do you think that was the first cinematic um tuxedo shirt like the 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 joke yeah maybe did De Palma coin the cinematic tuxedo shirt and the twist ending the the jump scare ending uh which you know I love my Friday the 13th movies uh People admit the end of Friday the 13th, the first one is uh, yeah. like they ripped off the end of Carrie. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, even as a Friday the 13th fan, I got it. Well, that whole thing, they just do nothing but rip off things. But yeah. uh, uh, I love it. But, but they, uh, they steal well. Yeah. Uh, it is funny, though, how they mess up. <laughs> Friday the 13th, like, manages to still kind of mess it up, which is like, Carrie's ending is just like one of the best endings really ever. Is. Yeah. Because even if the hands come out, it gets scarier somehow when it cuts to her flipping out in the bed. Yeah. And then cutting back to the hands. Yeah. And she's like live dreaming. She's wake dreaming. Or yeah. That's like the terrifying part yeah. too. It's like, it's the shock and surprise of the hands coming out. And then it's just this kind of like really unsettling sort of like human moment that like, um, 
that you're left off of when Carrie ends, you're like blown away. Yeah. It's funny with Friday the 13th, the boy jumps out of the boat, out of the lake and pulls Alice down into the water. And then after that, there's like a three minute scene of like her talking to the hospital. I know. I know. She's like, a boy pulled me down in the water. We didn't <laughs> see a boy there. It's <laughs> like, and then the variations from film to film on both trying to top it and subvert it. it I know. It's, it's yeah. like, I, I it can only be really it. done once. Yeah. 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 Well, how about a pee break and then we can dive into this guy? Uh, yeah, a Carrie P. I know we didn't. We're not doing bathroom. Carrie P. My forward son. Thank you. We'll be right back. With Marley and Rust. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. With Want to talk a little Logo Loke? Yeah, let's get into it with some I'm, Logo Loke. I've never seen a United Artists logo like this before. Yeah, because we've discussed the other ones that are like the the paperclip one and the like. They're scary. They're somber, scary one. Yeah, that's yeah. like the before Rocky or James Bond. Yeah, they're like, hey, you want to watch a fun boxing movie? <laughs> you like, gotta pay uh, for it. Underdog. Yeah, or a, a fun adventure <laughs> spy movie. No, you got to pay for it. Is it brilliant, though, that they are like, let us depress you, and then a movie that will already inspire you and fill you f- full of joy will really do that now? That's good. Yeah. If if um, all the other studio logos are kind of like the um, first date, they yeah. really bring out the magic. Right. United Artists is sort of like the glum person on the first date who's like... <laughs> I'm lowering the bar. You're not going to like me. You're not going to want a second date. Later, they're like, oh, my God, the United Artists logo, like, (laughs) totally dissed me, and I'm into him. He is so hot. He's so brooding and cool. And look, hey, I could easily see the brooding United Artists logo um, being female, too. Yeah. And there's... uh, um, you don't like that John Lennon song, Girl, mm-hmm. the Beatles song, Girl. Yeah. Hey, guys like bad girls too. <laughs> yes, definitely. Girls like bad boys. Let's boys gen- like bad girls. Let's genderize every. What's the <laughs> Fox studio fanfare? Logo? Well, I'm gonna like. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> that feels male to me because it's like, look at me. <laughs> 
That's like a young male. Yeah, it feels very like pyramids. Like yeah. this sort of like, I'm going to like build a giant structure that is meaningless. Yes. Yeah. We don't really have to do these. Um, well, I just wanted to say I thought my first thought was Touchstone is female. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and the Annette Benning one is too, I think. Oh, the tries the Columbia. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, um, the um, uh, the TriStar logo. What was I gonna say about that? Um, well, just gonna have to save my TriStar thoughts. Not TriStar Touchstone. Um, oh, I, I don't know. I forgot. Um, the United Artists one though. It seems to look replicate the movie screen when the red. This is old timey movie theaters before the movie would begin. The New Beverly still does this, where it's like the red, yellow, like kind of stage lighting that oh, was yeah. shined on oh, the right, screen before right. the movie comes up. Yeah. It seems like that's what that, you know, oh. our, our artist logo is trying to recreate. Interesting. It's like, it's like, Oh yes. This one. Dink, you mean. dink. Yeah. yeah, the, old, yeah. The, the one we saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen this one in other films? Yeah. Um, it's, it's the one I know most. I identify with Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder why they did that. I think maybe um, Carrie might have been a um, negative pickup. Like they uh, made it and then sold it. And so maybe United that's United Artists' gentle way of saying like, this isn't officially us or we're not going to trump yeah. it as a United Artists. Because the know. other one was ineffective this time, right? Because that would have been... Uh, this would have been... Right before a Spy Who Loved Me? Right after... Wait, no, you're right. Right right before yeah 77 yeah so and that one is what the uh what is the because it's sometimes hard to know the logos with the movies like that because the wallpaper a new united artist logo oh, yeah before so do you remember the one though the but i would have the, assumed it would have been the somber one but i yeah. don't know yeah huh. uh and so he had do you think every time the somber united artist logo like played in the little like black space between the logo and the movie starting like just everybody in the audience like all kind of like sadly nods yeah like, yes that is true or they like like a, a wife take a takes a husband's hand and is kind of like we'll get through this <laughs> i still love you i love you i'm here for you <laughs> the amount of marriages that the united <laughs> artist logo saved yeah but then there's like some old businessman down on his luck in business in that place and he just goes ah! can't take it anymore. And he runs out and goes to the Brooklyn Bridge. I came here to watch Moonraker. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, Now, the, uh, just, this was the the first thing I wrote here because I didn't want to forget it. It was pointed out to me like five, 10 years ago, how Carrie is like the horror movie version of Cinderella. Oh, and was that intentional on King's part? I don't know. Wow, you're right. But in every way, it's like... <laughs> I never realized that unless we talked about this before. In no, which case, I don't I've think forgotten. So. Yeah. Uh, but when I first amazing. heard that, I was like blown away. I was like, oh, yeah. So is there, a, is there an analog to the slipper at all? Metaphorically at all? Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe that's what our hands are. 
that pop out at the end. It's like the glass slippers <laughs> be like, don't forget about the glass slippers. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we don't have to. Add yeah, people that's can fascinating. Conclusion. Then. Well, uh, also, also that Brantley, our re- lovely researcher, um, oh, cited yes. something you, from yeah from the book. Sorry, uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol Clover. Okay. Much that, discussed on this pod. Yeah, typically your slasher movies have a victim, a hero, and a monster, but that Carrie represents all three in this movie, which is really fascinating. Yeah, that is cool. I mean, I did think in terms of, because I've been reading um, uh, Stephen King's nonfiction book, Mm. uh, Dance Macabre, Mm. M-A-C-A-B-R-E. Yeah. Uh, D-A-N-S-E. Oh, Dance. Dance Macabre. Uh, and uh, he doesn't fit this in with Carrie, which I thought was interesting. He doesn't like then lead it to Carrie, but he's talking about how oh, The Exorcist and The Omen these are big hits because since the mid to late sixties on, the thing that's been rattling everybody is like, what the fuck is happening with these kids of ours? They're going mm. bananas. <laughs> and then if you can go see The Exorcist and be like, yeah, your child is possessed by Satan. That's why. Uh, oh. That's why this. And so then it's like very cathartic then to see priests come in, make your kid get better. The omen is the same thing. It's like, you'll have a kid and it'll turn out to be this, the, you know, the Antichrist. So I never thought I was just had read that in Dance Macabre. I was kind of in my head. And then I was watching Carrie and I was like, that's why Carrie's so cool. Uh, it's it's not told from the parents' point of view of, ooh, my kid is turning into some... It's Carrie being like, yeah, I'm changing. Get with it, people. Like, And if you're a parent who can't understand this, uh, that's your loss or like it's to your detriment. Um, it's a... It's a sighting again with like Stephen King. It's like a sighting with the outcast. That's like really, yeah. I mean, I know that there's a history of that and like Catcher in the Rye and stuff. It's always like young youth literature is like so comforting because it's like the parents are wrong. Yeah. You're right. You're doing things right. And like with Carrie, I feel that it, it fits in more with that. It's like the parents are wrong. You're right. And with the other movies that are like possession or like bad right. kid movies, it's usually like, you're supposed to take the position of the parents like Shane yeah. and like, oh, this shouldn't be happening. Um, Did, in, in the end, it's her own rage that's pulling the house. Sorry if this is a dumb question. Pulling the house down. It's not Satan, right? I'm sorry. That's probably a really stupid question. Yeah, because they don't. don't yeah, yeah, because yeah. she seems to be looking at the roof, like not like I'm causing this, but what's going on. And she's also trying to get her mother to safety in the closet, it feels like. So is it because she's out of control or something else has taken over? Yeah, did it, uh, yeah, is it like she's going like, oh my God, my powers have gotten away from me or these powers are no longer Is it Satan? Was mom right? Yeah. Someone pointed out, one of the trustees of Forgive Me, I don't remember who, how funny it is in Children of the Corn, how fucking crazy Isaac is, but he's 100% right. He's, there's there's this like beast in the field and he's preaching because of this thing yeah the 
that's funny. Uh, that needs sacrifices and stuff like that. Because you never stop to think that Isaac wasn't crazy. He wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he was obviously misguided, but. Well, it's like uh, exactly like uh, when you watch Rambo 3 now and you're like, oh, he was right to be helping the Taliban. <laughs> like, that makes sense now. He was right to do that. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, Same with Bond. He In Living Daylights, he helps the Mujahideen that later would become the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. Oh, my God. So Living Daylights is 87. Rambo yeah. 3 is 88. Yeah. That they is were how much people had drank. The Kool Aid. Yes, I mean nobody knew exactly, yeah. uh, but Charlie Wilson did. Oh, right. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know if the point of the story is that he learned that it was the wrong thing to do, or yeah. uh, but uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess that's an interesting time to look back on now. Yeah, these the uh, um, but uh, oh, the only other thing I was gonna, just. Uh, up top, just like I do think this is like just like really cast well, yeah, and um, for sure, you know, Brian De Palma broke, um, he discovered Robert De Niro, Joe Clayburgh, he gave the day de- big debut breakthrough performances for Michelle Pfeiffer and John C. Riley. He's like a dude who, like, yeah. Just when somebody has, I think, like really good taste and just wants their movie to be as best as possible, they can go like, oh, I got to have an eye on this too. Yeah. And so in addition to him being an amazing stylist, I do think like his ability to discover and know talent is like really helps all these. I agree. Um, But the, uh, I think with Carrie. But wait a minute, then Bonfire of the Vanities. That was just one misstep. Well, that's like such a fascinating thing to like read about yeah. because it's him not trusting his being gut. S- swayed by a studio essentially. Yeah, it's like yeah. um the producer who bought the John not John Peters, but his partner Peter Guber. Guber G-B-E-R. Yeah. Gruber. He was the one when he bought Gruber. the thing, he's like, It has to be Tom Hanks. Right, that's right. Because this character is unlikable. So yeah. if you have a likable person playing it, it was like yeah. that's the original sin of that movie and then he inherited Brian De Palma inherited it but yeah that's right I mean maybe after Casualties of War his uh, I was gonna say his like ability to like know how to cast something well but then Snake Eyes is really great if you want to see a good Nicolas Cage and somebody hard to see the powers of a of a good Nicolas Cage yeah but um the uh uh uh, and you didn't think Melanie Griffith and Bruce Willis were exquisite in Bonfire of the Vanities, right? <sighs> Her as the Southern Belle <laughs> makes uh, like makes like Balky esque <laughs> malapropisms. Like <laughs> you find out later, she's from Bartakamoose or uh, 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 me- from uh, Meeple's. Meeple's. <laughs> <laughs> I said Southern. I didn't say United States. I'm from the Southern Aegean of Mepos. <laughs> Cousin Larry Appleton. Now, uh, so that's why I can play somebody like the trumpet. Oh, it should be play him like a fiddle. This <laughs> idiot doesn't know our expressions. <laughs> that's the main joke of both of them. Of Falcon, which I love. Um, the uh, 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 So yeah, the logo... First thing we see is a volleyball game. Yeah. Um, 
the other thing of like, uh, oh, Carrie, they side with her, the outsider. Uh, I think goes along with that is like, um, uh, people who read horror books and like horror movies, pretty easy to identify with Carrie here. There's like opening scene. Oh yeah. Of like, just don't let the fucking volleyball come to me. But I would say it's not. Yeah. Uh, the genius of the book, I'm sure, and the movie is like, um, hey, we all feel like Carrie. Yeah. Who feels like Chris, the uh, the Nancy Allen character? Even the real Chris's, in a way, probably feel more like Carrie. Yeah. Like, everybody tends to sort of victimize themselves. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's why. Chris and Travolta are a little two dimensional in this movie for me. Cause well, what I was going to say is like, they almost seem like Carrie's the psychological representation of how Carrie sees these people, yeah, even when right. she's not around them. She's like, Oh, he's probably like drinking beer and like having it foam out of his mouth. <laughs> but there's some evidence for that too, because when she, the pig blood gets spilled on her, she's seeing her teacher, Betty Buckley laugh at her when she's not really laughing at her. Yeah. That was the most, um, uh, the first time I saw Carrie, I think it was like on TNT or something. Um, that was the thing that um, rattled me the most mm. was when the teacher started laughing. And I, it took me a couple more watches before I could pin down that that was her, imagination and her eyes turn to fly eyes where she can see multiple prisms the fly eyes i guess is the indicator of like this isn't really happening because she's a fly now (laughs) (laughs) wrong movie pal (laughs) uh but that was really i think because the thing you most hang on to throughout carrie emotionally is the relationship between her and ms collins the, Mm. the teacher yeah um through every point up until they end on Ms. Collins' face after Carrie's big celebration before she gets the last thing you see before the pig blood really comes down is the teacher being like so happy for Carrie. And like, so then three minutes later to see her laughing at Carrie is really that's worse than the, yeah. the pup blood getting spilled on her. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, uh, uh, they go into the locker room. Um, but we're I, seeing uh, um, different actors here. We're seeing PJ Souls. Yes, another I was there too guest. Who in two years later would be in Halloween also wearing a cap. Yeah, this is like her signature. Did she talk about this? Yes, she did. Yeah. What, what's the, the what's the deal with the cap, PJ? I, uh, this is horrible, the memory. But I mean, there is the famous story about how she showed up for prom with this with full styled hair. And and De Palma's like, where's your cap? And she goes, well, I don't think she'd wear it to prom. And he goes, yes, she would. And then that's how it really became a thing. And didn't she also have it in the Ramones movie too? Yes. Rock and Roll High School. So yeah, uh-huh. it just became this trademark thing for her. So cool. I know. She's great. Yeah, she's she great. seems just really cool. And she's in a, 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 um Stripes. Stripes yeah. as well. I didn't know Edie McClurg was in this. <laughs> what a nice surprise. Huh? It took me, I had to do a double take. What, and within the last month, we've gotten two McClurks. She's two in, McClurks. And Mr. Mom. But it's so Carey. funny that she's a high school student in this. And then within a matter of four years, she's super matronly, which tells me in all those 80s movies where she was just this kind of, you know, marmy character <laughs> that she was probably 
late early 20s, 30s, early yeah. 30s. Like in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, she's probably early 30s. The, she had the uh, Estelle Getty uh, yeah. syndrome of like, you're playing somebody 20 years older than you because yeah. you're what your vibe is yeah. 20 years older. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's not better than getting presented as youthful and then now yeah tell it age to, uh, and life is rushing against uh, you. isaac from uh children of the corn <laughs> you know it's yeah yeah the uh 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 yeah because the um uh just with the um pj souls edie mcclurg nancy allen amy irving these are the actors we would you'd see in other things. Yeah. Um, it also makes it pretty clear that it, you could draw a line, I think, between – I'm not going to say Carrie's the first slasher because obviously it's not. It's just like you can add these to kind of like in the system because it's like – well, clearly John Carpenter saw Carrie. PJ yeah. Souls is wearing a Captain Halloween right. or somebody would have gone like – He's okay with that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, 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 yeah, that, uh, um, and then on to like Friday the 13th, that then they would rip this off. Like, right. Carrie was like, uh, I'm sure, like a more modern horror movie to be seen. And it's not like fucking castles and stuff. No, and vibe alone. <sighs> yeah. Even cinematography vibe. Yeah. This didn't hit me the vibe of, um, Of the movie, I never thought about it in this way before, but that sort of the stylistic flourishes of a Brian De Palma movie, I was thinking like, oh, it almost kind of works with the like TK. And I don't even mean like with the telekinesis. Oh, yeah. Because it is kind of this like, everything looks normal, but there's just something slightly weird yeah. about how this volleyball scene is being shot. It just feels like... How Carrie's like probably relationship the world is with TK. It's like no, you're she's right. Moving around in a weird way, or that it's she's almost having out of body perception of the yeah. whole thing from afar and up on high, yeah. like looking down on it while constantly monitoring it. Maybe that's the way it, it could most go down for people. That level of style for America to finally accept it because Brian De Palma had that style in other movies, but maybe people are just like. It needs to fit the genre in a way that yeah. this can be kind of wacky. But I, I was trying to put myself in the theater of like, if I was watching this in 1976 and I'm seeing a movie that's like going for this like high style, it's pretty cool. I mean, it is the difference of like what we were talking about, like by Maxim Overdrive era. Yeah. Where Stephen King's name is the thing. I mean, literally, what was it? Were they spent more money to get the title above the the Stephen King Children of the or no Christine, right? No, Children of the Children Corn. Children of the Corn, yes, sorry. They put more money in being able to have that as yeah. opposed to the budget for the movie. Like right. uh, I guess this is pretty much the the next scene. But the like the little flourish of when the boy comes by on the bike to tease <laughs> Carrie yeah. and each time he goes around the tree, they just go on the other side of the tree. Then it goes back over yeah. it goes back over the tree. Um if Carrie had been made in 1984, produced by Dino De Laurentiis, that just, that would have not ever, no. it would have been like, this is a Stephen King movie. We have this boy go by on a bike and she like makes a kooky eye and the boy falls over yeah. to like a spike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a broken sprinkler head. But yeah, the, um, so uh, then she has her period. 
Oh, Paul Hirsch, another Star Wars connection. He edited um, both Carrie and Star Wars. Oh. I read his book um, a long time ago in a editing room far away or something like that. But he tells really great stories oh. about editing these movies. One of the stories he tells is a lot of people never knew he edited uh, uh, Carrie. They were like, I never saw your name in the credits. And then when he watched it, his credits come up right when Nancy Allen's like fully naked on the other side of the screen. He's like, nobody ever saw my name because they were looking at the other side. Uh, uh, the other cool thing, though, uh, and people should read it because Paul Hirsch, he's working with uh, De Palma and George Lucas and John Hughes. Um, was he one of the editors that came in and reportedly fixed Star Wars or was he the... Yeah, he was like the person who he won an Oscar for, but... It was like, yeah, somebody who wasn't there from the very beginning. Yeah. He got, uh, I think him and Marsha Lucas are the two who okay. like made it work. Gotcha. Um, but the uh, uh, the only other really good anecdote that came out of the Paul Hirsch yeah. book was um, uh, for the longest time, I, a friend and I debated what movie owned. Oh, yeah. Ow. Now, I oh, was right. Ferris boom, Bueller, boom, day boom. off. Yeah. Um, but I had a friend who was like, well, it's used pretty well in uh, Secret of My Success. Oh, I didn't even remember that. And then, yeah, there's a part in Secret of My... And I was always like, it's kind of weird that in the year span, these uh, Secret of My Success came out after. You think Secret of My Success would have been like... Yeah. Um, Paul Hirsch edited both. <gasps> and he was nervous... When that John Hughes would be upset that he re he used the oh yeah for the secret of my success, yeah, the yellow song. Um, and he never intended it to be in the movie, he just used it as a way to kind of like temp, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Herbert Ross, the director, liked it. I was like, oh, let's just keep it in. And then Paul Hirsch is like, fuck, John Hughes is the one who brought this yellow. This isn't even my song. I just like used it in. And then, but it got used, and that's why that's why he's in both of those movies, man. Wow. <laughs> so now you don't have to read Paul Hirsch's book. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, um, what's the next, uh, like, uh, what's uh, the, the locker room? Um, then the scene with the principal. Um, yeah. It is a funny thing that, like, uh, in horror movies, there's blood everywhere that would make you squeamish. Uh, but then that, like, period blood is like too squeamish yeah i mean that that's where i do sense de Balma's intention you know I, yeah. I i don't doubt his intention there and and it's effective it's, yeah, like that, i said if if that movie just even if it just started with sissy space like caressing herself in the shower which is so sensual mm -hmm. then goes right into that that would work for me I you think it's just, been in to have a bonorama I mean, before. Don't, I'm also a red blooded male of, you yeah, know, there's yeah. always, I get why cynically why it's there, Yeah, but wa watching it now, but especially five years ago, cause I hadn't seen it for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I want to want to reopen this conversation. I just, again, I'm, I'm just going, how much of this is self-aware and how much I hear. Is yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, well then with this, yeah, the, um, uh, principal scene yeah that seems probably where it's clearest that it's like what this scene's about because the joke yeah is like the principal being like mm -hmm. uh she's like 
talking about, she's saying like, um, God, you know, I understood what the girls were going through. I wanted to shake Carrie too. It's just your period. Um, and, uh, this is a way broader conversation that we don't have to like dwell in, but I do think like, not in my own life, there's just like, the difficulty of the gender being comfortable with the fluids that come out of each other's bodies. Yeah. Because what the strange thing is, is like by the age of 18 for a boy, he's gotten four or five good years of just ejaculate <laughs> to the point where it's, not even thought. Uh, there's no second thought about I'm wiping off this yeah. gross gunk yeah. that just came out of my body because I rattled my dick a lot. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it it becomes such a thing, you know. And then, of course, when somebody uh, has sex, yeah, for what I have to imagine it's like I'm not as at ease as you are with this. Uh, I imagine there's a frustration on the other end, which is like, dudes, what are your fucking hangs? This, I've been dealing with this since yeah. the age of, like, your hangups about this are so, and as Chelsea Peretti was pointed out on stage, if boys had periods, that's all comedy would be based yeah, on. Of course. Guys would be up on stage, stand ups talking about, like, I am a period. Like, yeah. there would be. 10 famous comedy set pieces and movies. Uh, right. The fact that it's never even really ever a joke that gets utilized. And it's this thing that is interesting. Yeah. The, but you know, when Carrie gets dumped with blood, that's also like them joking on her, right. pranking her for having that. So the, I guess this all makes sense that the whole movie is kind of fixated on like, um, the well, thing I never noticed, or I couldn't put together for the longest time. And I feel like an idiot is, I didn't put it together that her having her period is what unlocks the telekinesis. Oh yeah. And I think it's because the movie's tasteful and isn't like spelling it out in the same way that we liked, like the dead zone and stuff. They're not ever really trying to, oh, but yeah. I, when, when I watched it the first 10 times, I thought Carrie's kind of been experiencing this for a year or two. And then we pick up on her on this, like, a big emotional day. And now we're getting a window into the TKA on a very emotional day that would be bringing to no, Al. Right. But she's experienced. Yes. Since she was eight, she's been letting no, things float around. It's basically she's an X-Man because they would get it at puberty. Yeah. So, oh, that's your the, mutancy, like, pops up in X-Men when you, like. Yes. <sighs> so it's this could be an X-Men movie. Carrie, like, being an X-Men would be I pretty know. cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, so it does change it. Then once you realize, like, oh, this is the thing that unlocks it. And yeah. then the fact that they're, like, tormenting her about it, it makes it even more of a thing. Of, like, fuck and you, also this her, is a superpower. Her repression. And, and in that yeah. shower scene, too, that not only is very clearly De Palma going for a phallic thing with that shower head, but the choice of that shower head yeah and just the just spraying well then it's also like psycho yeah you know right. um 
this school is called Bates High. Oh, I didn't notice. And then the factory they go to is like Bates Meat Packing. Diploma. Uh, uh, and that came from a Sissy SpaceX husband, Jack Fisk. Yeah. He needed to name the high school when he was doing props. He was like, oh, I know. Brian's like a psycho fan, so I'll call it Bates. We haven't even talked about the fact that Sissy Spacek was a set dresser on a prior to Palma movie. I mean, how have we haven't even talked about Sissy Spacek? I know. She's incredible. Yes. And that De Palma, I forget who, had a favorite for the role. And she auditioned and just, according to him, everyone else just looked silly next to her. And she was Um. just a set dresser. Yeah, who wanted to be uh, an actor, right? But was uh, Jack Fisk was production designer, and so she was working with her husband. Um, yeah, it's just like one of those things that you watch, and you're like, how could it not ever yeah. in any multitude of universes be uh, Sissy Spacek every time? Yeah. Um, the fact that like she's able to... Um, from the very moment you just like care for her so much is a, uh, the thing I was thinking when, like in that opening scene when she's like so sad when she's running up and saying like, help me to the oh, girls. And then I thought about it when at the end, when she was with her mom and she got back after the prom and she takes a bath and washes yeah. all the blood off and the mom comes out from the door and she's like, mama, just hold me, hold me mama. I was like, oh, this is Carrie's deal. It's just like, oh, nobody's yeah. like, helping her it's heartbreaking because she's also never been told what's going to happen to her body so she thinks she's dying yeah it's in front of a harrowing yeah it's yeah, yeah. harrowing and she's asking for help and nobody will help her yeah uh oh it's heartbreaking and in the book uh carrie is uh a heavy set girl ah and so there is a, this isn't a critique of the movie by any means or anything, but there is just like that Hollywoodization that's going yeah. on, which as long as we're talking about Sissy Spacek here, um, Sissy Spacek in any American high school would be the most beautiful yeah. girl at that high school yeah. for the 50 years before and after that. Yeah. But she so, does have an eeriness about her. Yeah. In, yeah. In a yeah. beautiful way. But yeah. Yes. Yes. That the, the movie enhances and stuff. But uh, uh, it is just like, it's a little like she's all that. Yes. <laughs> or yes. like if you just take off the glasses yeah, and right. shake down your hair. Oh, the librarian. Be, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things too where, you know, there are certain movies that are really hard to remake. And I think. The most unremakable movie is one that is because the star of the film is well put, so yeah. like Carrie's one of them. Um, it, I can't imagine you can remake Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll do it at some point, but to not have Harrison Ford in that role. But then I say, like, how did you ever do Sean Connery replace him as Bond? Yeah, and but, it, but Harrison- it didn't fail. It had to fail for it to work again. That's true. And it, you know, in some people's minds, never fully worked again until Daniel Craig, you know? Yeah. So then what would it, uh, it'd take a really, um, yeah, a breakthrough actor performance to when they adapt Carrie into a movie. I also wonder if it, if it helps, yeah, that it's an actor who's not on somebody's radar. So you're a little bit, it's easier to, See the non glamorous side. Yeah. If this is yes, then like um, right. um, who were the that singing duo the brother and sister Donnie and Maria. Yeah, this has been Marie Osmond. <laughs> right in a different movie. 
I'd love to see that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and Dottie plays William Cathbart. Yeah. Uh, 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 the, uh, um, uh, I do like the, that um, having somebody misremember your name would be enough to like make you want to flip an ashtray with your TK. Over and over. I mean, yeah, guy, yeah. get with it. What are you, a comic Chevy Chase character? <laughs> uh, uh, the... Um, I love the first scene when Piper Laurie drops by the mom's office oh. and she's like, these are godless times and uh, Amy Irving's real mom. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, oh, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. She's an actor. She looks she so much plays like the her. mom and she does look like her. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, she goes, I'll drink to that. Yeah. Uh, I saw um, this movie at the uh, Egyptian theater in a double bill with this and um, what's the fucking Italian which coven Suspiria Suspiria movie uh, the 70s one with yeah. his. Um, and uh, I'll drink to that got a huge laugh from no, the audience but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it does seem like that must have been the time like half of the people are either like a weird religious lady or the other half is just yeah. sort of like key parties and drinks yes, at 3pm before the kids come home nowhere in between <laughs> uh, the uh, um Okay, then when she comes back, Carrie gets dragged into the room. Uh, that with the with the teacher laughing at Carrie at the end. This is like the other like most horrific part. Yeah. Like when she's grabbing her hair and like pulling her into the thing. Also, just the way it's shot. It's like the camera's like coming in yeah. while she's getting pulled in, and the closet is entirely dark except for you've got a Jesus statue with arrows in him. What is, is that some Catholic okay. thing I'm not aware of? I don't know if it's Jesus. Yeah, maybe you're right. Cause he also, you're not sure about that either. It, is it the guy who's also in the um, Losing My Religion video? Whoever the, who's, oh yeah. What, who's the arrow guy in religion? Yeah. What, what, is what, it, well, it, it I have to like imagine he has is some martyr. That, it has to be Christian because yeah. she's so puritanical and. Christian. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I think kind of rattled me when I first saw Carrie and like still rattles me when I see this is just, um, this isn't, this isn't a neighborhood. And wasn't it always like a little scary to think about like your classmates? Like, what are their home lives? Like, what do they go to? That family seems kind of weirdly religious. Oh, yeah. When that person goes home, are things like really uptight? The the point where I like really love it is when um, Carrie's having the fight with her mom about whether she's going to go yeah. to prom or not. Because it looks like it's a scene and like it manages to make like a neighborhood house look like this gothic castle. Yeah. And the feelings are so true. I grew up with two older sisters. The house was most on fucking fire when my parents said they couldn't go out to this thing that they thought they were going to get to go to oh. and all of their friends were going to be there. Oh. So when that scene is shot with <laughs> just like this power of like the gods, I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like it either. St. Sebastian. Sebastian Saint. was ordered to be killed by arrows for converting his fellow Roman soldiers to Christianity. He was left for dead by the archers, but was rehabilitated by a pious widow. 
Following his recovery, he presented himself to Diocletian and was subsequently beaten to death. Hey. Christianity, you never fail to please. <laughs> oh, that's so cool that we keep talking about him. <laughs> good good uh, person to keep uh, as, the, as the role model. Uh, yeah, the... Um, uh, the uh, yeah, the... Uh, sorry, I've said yeah, the... Uh, Oh, the weird glowing eyes. Yeah. Of How did, what is that? I don't know if it was just the sculpture, just big, big eyes. I don't, who knows? Do you, would you growing up go into a house with like art of religious stuff up and my uh, down the street neighbor, Laverne Richter had some iconography and her husband, Otto Richter. Was she friends with Shirley McMahon? Who's that? Well, I would imagine Laverne oh. Richter would be friends with Shirley Feeney. Well, I'm doing Andy Richter, Ed McMahon, oh. and oh and Laverne God. Shirley, Laverne and Shirley. So Laverne Richter. Clearly, and I can't believe that you weren't fully with That's me. That's on me. Yeah, that is on you, 100%, 110%. I recently had a realization, not to disparage anybody, but but Laverne's Richter's husband, Otto Richter, was had a very thick German accent and uh, was of an age that I just, I never knew his history, but I, I mean, he was an immigrant from Germany and I just don't know. You think he's a Nazi war criminal? Well, I, I mean, you can say that. I'm not I like saying, or, is this what you're saying that? I'm I like, just, say it if that's the, cause I bet. I just want to, I want to know more is, is all I can say. Yeah. So it's just like, uh, he was right. a very sweet man. I will say this. Hey, look, Whitey Bulger wanted to do this too. These guys like live horrible lives. And they're like, why don't I just get like some beachfront property down in a yeah. San Diego or Venice beach. And then, and then somebody at a coffee shop is like, I think that's Whitey Bulger. What, I mean, what a better place, there's no better place to hide than Kibbe Avenue in Whittier, California. Like, there's just so sprawling middle class. Like, no one looks for you there, you know? Stucco, <laughs> two-bedroom home, you know? Smells like cabbage inside and tons of those little um, German candle um uh propeller things you know what i mean like you yeah. light the candles and it spins the propeller and then all the little <laughs> things dance around yeah. yeah i mean if you had to go hide out somewhere matt not because you're a nazi worker or anything like let's i'd just go say, to nazi's landing <laughs> let's just say you killed somebody okay um yeah, let's and, say yeah let's say quote unquote you have but uh -huh. you haven't no, no. <laughs> um where do you go hide out? With, with, both in terms of, you know, you'll have some anonymity. It'd be pretty mm. hard to be found there. But also, I want to have proximity to like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just reading books in my house. And you're, you're saying like, legally, you got to get out of the country. You don't want to be caught. Oh, you can stay in the United States if you want to. That is a choice if you want it. I'm afraid to say I would probably go somewhere where they pride themselves on not getting into people's business, like maybe mm -hmm. Alaska or something or Wyoming. But mm -hmm. the, I mean, I don't know. Leave you be. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say with, with a country like it's to America's benefit if <laughs> yeah. you're left alone. So you go to like Russia and then they're like, yes, we will protect you. <laughs> Matthew Corley. Perfect. 
Russian accent. Um, then uh, when Carrie comes out of the closet and she's like internalized her authority figures, like insane punishment yeah. and is going like, okay, I understand just so you can get off the punishment. Yeah. And, and also like me again. Yeah. She's yeah. a little familiar to a lot of kids, I think. Yeah. Like, I will say I'm sorry because you have this fucking weird hang up. Yeah. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Um, I noticed the mom was using a sewing machine called White Rotary was the company. Mm, Do you think that's White. a family name? It must be. Is that how they're living? She can't be making that much money going door to door, just getting $10 from yeah. Sue's mom. Yeah, good point. Making money off that big, uh, big, big sewing machine. Uh, industry. Um, so then we meet Tommy in that split diopter shot mm. when his poem's getting read. Yeah. That's another thing where I feel like style and feeling go hand in hand, which is like, I am most concerned what he's feeling at that moment, what Carrie's feeling. So getting to see them too. Yeah. And I love their little private moment when you get to see William Cat go from I'm embarrassed you're being overpraising my poem in front of all my classmates. And then when he starts to make fun of Carrie, like your first introduction of, uh, of Tommy is like, he thinks this teacher's bullshit for like making Carrie feel embarrassed. for yeah. saying this. Uh, Now I don't really love the trope of the heart of gold jock. Cause I think it's like a dishonest thing that gets perpetrated they're all dicks yeah <laughs> but i do like this moment i like, do too yeah yeah i like him and yeah i mean he's he's not purely heart of gold because amy irving really has to convince him to do this yeah i part i wonder just in reflection if it's less about i don't want to be with carrie it's more like i don't want to be told what to like because yeah. i love that scene when he's like between the gym teacher, Ms. Collins, and um, his girlfriend, Sue, and he's in the middle, and he has to decide, like, who the who's the person I'm supposed to, like... Oh, yeah. Uh, ...listen to. Yeah. And who, like... Uh, and, like, listen to it a, a good way. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, it's crazy that he dies, too, because he is, uh, you know, a force of good in this movie. Yeah. And that the teacher dies. Does she, though? Well, she gets that table smashed into her midsection. Oh, I missed that. But uh, you asking, did she though, is a reasonable question to ask because it's not like blood. Then, no, but I didn't see that because the last thing I must have looked, been writing a note or something because when she rushes Amy Irving out, I thought they show her they're both outside the gym when she shuts the door, and then you see her next time in Carrie's hallucination. Oh yeah. uh, Maybe that is a hallucinate. Like, I noticed when she gets hit with that table, it cut to Chris looking out the window mm. and be like, holy shit, the gym teacher's getting it? Because it's like, oh, this is where it all started. Our little stupid Damn. fight has gotten out of this point where she's um, dead. But the, the, your point, though, about like the sort of the speed at which everything is happening, that is like, I'll just say now when I first saw Carrie, my main, when it ended, I was like, it's over. Mm. Or when it like started wrapping up, 
because I was so trained by like horror movies that once the killer starts killing, you get another hour. Yes, right. Of them killing. Yeah. And I know in the Carrie book and the other adaptations, she goes and then like sets fire to the city, and there's like a big, oh. big third act. Oh. Um. So it is it exists there, but um, uh, part of what's so groovy now about Carrie, what I yeah. love about it, is now everybody's getting killed. It's happening within three, four minutes, and it's people you think are assholes. It's people you think are good people. Like uh, it's just like a kind of a tollment of different feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, uh, then we meet the gym teacher. Um, uh, did Did you hear that little detail she said to them? Um, or she says it to Amy Irving later when she's like suspicious of why she wants him to bring Carrie. She goes, well, you can't go if you don't have a date. Yeah. Messed up prom. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Mine, you could go without a date. Yeah. I mean, it almost seems like fascist to be like. I know. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't find, if you're not coupled with a member of the opposite sex, you will not enjoy yeah, if the There's privileges. not a promise that our species will continue. <laughs> you can't come in and dance to Baby Got Back. Also, 10 inches apart at all times. <laughs> yeah. The Let the spirit, the yeah. Holy Spirit. Um, we didn't ever have issues like that in my Catholic school of like, you're dancing too close. It was, uh, I said baby got back once. I remember we were in the back gym having some dance that wasn't like a real dance. It wasn't like homecoming or prom. It was just like, let's give it an excuse. Mm -hmm. And uh, the DJ started playing baby got back. And uh, Father Schreiber just walked into the doorway, folded his arms. <laughs> the DJ just like lowered <laughs> the music. <laughs> then another song came on and Father Schreiber left. <laughs> You know, when the kids dance with the big butts. Oh, God. I got to pee again. Oh, of course. <laughs> we'll be right back. With Corley and Rust. With Corley and Rust. Uh, so then uh, maybe we're at around uh, when they go to the... The, do you want to talk about the meatpacking plant? Yeah, filmed at that uh, Farmer John's plant in um, Vernon. Vernon. Yeah, um, I've been there. You've been to that factory. I went to visit it because of season two of True Detective. That's right. You yeah. told me that they shot a lot in Vernon City of Industry. Yeah, they call it Vinci in that. And there's a whole episode of this podcast called Welcome to Vinci about season two of True Detective, which was a public radio podcast. <laughs> And they do an episode on this this factory, and it has a whole storied past because if you can drive along this factory and you can see the pigs going mm -hmm. from farm to factory. Oh yeah, I visited to, too. Yeah, to yeah. dying and having the wings and floating up to heaven. Wild. But a guy died painting it. He fell off a ladder, and there's a whole history. Yeah. Some pig angel was like, "This is weird. You're painting this." Nope, and pushed him off. <laughs> and then that guy should be on the mural with wings. <laughs> yeah, because the whole suggestion is sort of like, "Yes, we breed pigs so we can eat their flesh." But don't worry, at the end they become little flying yeah. angels, and you can see the story. Yeah. I mean, I think it is kind of a 
It's an awesome mural. Yeah. Pretty. In True Detective 2, is there like a shootout at the factory or what's No, going it's on? not even in there. It's just because they did a deep dive on Vernon, which Vinci is so based on. And Vernon is just this crazy history of the city because it's a city of industry completely except for literally 100 residents. And it's something to do with something about like, if we have this many residents, we can claim certain privileges, but it's, it's one of those cities that has had like a dynasty of mayors that have just handed down from son to father. Jesus. Wow. And they have this little tiny neighborhood of residences that are city houses that are given to employees or something like that. And intro detective Colin Farrell lives in one of them. And it's just this weird. Under those conditions or something. Yeah. Cause he's like a detective and he's given the house and though when he's fired, they take the house from him. And otherwise it's just like all truckers and plants. And it has this diner that's also in True Detective and the diner's still there. And the diner- I've been in that diner. I shot something oh. in that diner. You did? What'd you shoot there? Um, it was a, a on uh, internet video oh. um, that was, uh, it was about, uh, just now that you mentioned it, it's the joke of um, Neil Campbell wrote it. And the joke is, um, you know, when, um, Somebody shows up at a bar on Christmas night just to Santa. And if you pay attention closely, might just be the real Santa Claus. <laughs> the joke was he's just saying things that like are so clearly make him Santa Claus and none of these guys are picking up on it. Uh, but when we were there, they were like, oh, the two days the night before a new Mad Men aired that had just shot at that oh, restaurant. Yeah. So it must be a place to get and also go to for a vintage It is because it's out of time. Yeah. And that that part of why I loved season two of True Detective um, famously for me <laughs> is that it just explores a part of LA that nothing else ever has. You know, you yeah. never get anything set there. Yeah. I was thinking about that a couple of days ago about how I never see um when I was growing up watching Los Angeles movies, seeing um, an apartment building in like North Hollywood no. just never existed. But and until I saw two Pulp also, Fiction, and when oh, I saw yeah. Pulp Fiction, I was like, oh, I see how LA is like a city. Yeah. It took me like, because yeah. it just seems like, wait, it's either downtown noir or Beverly Hills mansions. Yeah. There's no in between. And then you also get Glendale featured fairly heavily too because Vince Vaughn's character's Armenian and they have so they kind of like have things with the Armenian community there but also they have to oh. downsize from a like super mid-century modern house and I think Palos Verdes or something and then uh-huh. they move into a little rented bungalow in Glendale and you just don't get that a lot yeah um well, the uh, Carrie's house, I've also visited that location. Um, that's and that's like a, in the South Bay or something? Where uh, is it? No, uh, Maybe I'm confused. It was like Santa Clarita, Santa oh. Clara, like a uh, um, Santa Clarita. Is Santa Clara like way too far? Yeah, I think Santa Clara is more. Isn't that is that not where they filmed Lost Boys? Um, I could. Be oh wrong. yeah, but, but maybe to, they did shoot up there. I'm they shot at, all over for Carrie. Yeah, I, it's weird if they would go up that far, but maybe maybe Santa Clara isn't. I don't know. Um, but. Yeah, I went there with um, where the train tracks are. And so th- that's also where the last, you know, one of the last shots when she's walking in slow motion to the grave. As long as we're talking about that right now, you see, did you, you see a little car go backwards? 
in that um, slow motion scene with Amy Irving in the background. No, I knew they shot it in reverse. I didn't see it. Yeah, so if you look in the background, you see a little car going backwards. Oh. Um, But uh, the um, to be there was... Santa Paula. Santa Paula. I was going to say those train tracks are famous. It's like in Ventura County. I shot a commercial at those train tracks. Oh, so it is south of here. I was wrong. No, it's north. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, those train tracks. What did you shoot there? A Hyundai commercial, I think. I shot something there too that was like they needed a train station that would look like it would be in the Midwest or something oh, like yeah. that. It's out of time that yeah. place too. Yeah. Um, it did make me think when I was watching it uh, that Carrie's house is so close to the train tracks, you know, the the term wrong side of the tracks oh, or whatever. Yeah. But it did make me put it together like, oh, you could really look at this Carrie thing through a class lens of like, yeah, William Cat is the kid with a cool car and right. rich parents and sue has wealthy parents nice house yeah, yeah bougie kind of houses and stuff but uh carrie's like next to a ra- railroad track with her mom <laughs> the <laughs> house her, must be with gone, her scary right? mom um as long as i'm thinking about it though when i called her scary mom um i really love carrie's mom's death at the end yeah how it's played as like tragedy and not entirely like glorious oh the villain's been defeated vengeance yeah yeah like carrie got her it's kind of this like it's sad that this is this is just a tragedy that this is how it had to end and i did think like oh this is in the um category of uh if i was ever making an argument how uh Obama's not a misogynist. He's a secret feminist. I do think the like her that being played as tragedy and not like we got her is because uh, to use a term, she is like a um her life got fucked by the patriarchy. Uh-huh. She got like yeah. knocked up early by this guy. He left her. She now has to make sense of why this happened to her. She turned to religion. It got pushed on Carrie. But none of this was ever really like somebody being like, I'm setting out to be a bad person. So when she gets killed at the end, it's a little like what we were talking about Cujo last week, which is like, Cujo's just a dog who got sick. It's hard to like (laughs) be happy that it dies. And that movie didn't really feel like it knew that. But with Carrie, I feel like they know like... This isn't supposed to be a, a triumph that the yes. mom's dying. Um, yeah. And wasn't there something where... I love that death scene, too, because also when she gets stabbed multiple times, she doesn't die right away. I hate that in a movie when someone gets stabbed and they just like pass out and die. Yeah. Because there's, there's no, multiple opportunities for that psycho sting. The like... Oh, ring, yeah. Ring. God, I mean... Unabashed. Shameless. Yeah. Pino Donaggio for shame geez. for shame. Isn't there something I'm trying to remember if this was an I was there too, where she talked about it was probably first in her book, Piper Laurie. Isn't she doing kind of an orgasmic thing when she died? Like I, when I was watching, I thought that, that it's like, uh, um, she's doing that. And then, yeah, it becomes kind of this thing in Halloween and stuff. The knife as penis yeah. release thing. Like, she does seem to be like, uh, Oh, with Christine, we, uh, we watched it. Remember? When uh, Arnie dies 
And he's like in the throes oh, of yeah. like dying with Christine's glass at him. He's like, oh, I'm ejaculating. Remember when he said that? But then doesn't that get get you back like De Palma always does to the question of, is he being misogynist? These knives penetrating her is the only way she can kind of achieve climax, climax yeah. or release or finally let go of her repression. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, it's then just... the added uh, wrinkle of like it's her daughter doing it. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, Carrie's a, a freaky scene, babe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dirty pillows, my God. Dirty pillows. Is That that must be from the book, is it? Uh, I don't that know, seems but Dirty Pillows now is, a, is in the parlance, I yeah. think, because of Carrie. Oh, so funny. Um, and... Uh, yeah, this by prom night it totally reveals like Carrie's in a beautiful dress and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I guess that's the um, bibbity bobbity boo moment. Her yeah. pumpkins getting turned into a carriage, and, and, and you know that midnight is looming, and in this case, it's a bucket of blood. A movie so successful, and this is where the movie really wins me over because. I know that blood's up there. There's a huge yeah. long establishing shot telling me that. Yeah. And I still, and I know it's going to fall. And every time I watch this, I do not want it to fall. Even yeah. though I know that's where the movie needs to go. Yeah. I desperately don't want this to happen. I want it to end with her winning. Yeah. And that's, that's a mark of a really successful film. Yeah. It's the most I was, yeah. When I was watching the, I was thinking this is the most where, um, sentimentality and like suspense, are most next to each other. Yeah. I was trying to think of another yeah. movie where those two things and they play off each other. Yeah. The more sentimental it gets in a, the best way possible, the more suspenseful it gets, the more suspenseful it gets, the more it makes yeah. the sentiment. Like it's pretty, if you had to, there's certain sequences, I guess in other De Palma movies, but like uh, if you just like snipped out from the moment that they start stealing the votes, Mm-hmm to the votes getting announced, that slow motion of her going up and then the thing hitting her head. You wouldn't even have to show her like killing people after that. That yeah. would just be like enough of like, whoa. Right. That's just like, a, um, you could read the book Carrie and you could read the screenplay or whatever and uh, it would take one person to sort of like think about it in that way. Of, like, yeah. I'm going to show the bucket of blood and I love how that blood looks. I it's know. just so like, it's shimmery it's viscous and shimmery yeah. yeah and then obviously the um when the attack happens or when she goes cuckoo the combination of like the gold stars on the mm. that back blue getting like having red and yellow flame it's just like so visually like sumptuous mm, yeah um the uh uh I didn't check. I think Taxi Driver came out in 76. But when her visions go to red and it's not even like you're not even seeing real color anymore. It's just like all kind of like through a rel, red gel kind of yeah. thing. Um, it's more than her vision, right? Because she turns the lights red in the room. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, it made me think of like a Taxi Driver because mm -hmm. both and like when things just like uh, become unreal during the like, but m more the like, uh, uh, visceral. We've been like priming the pump this whole movie to see like the 
point when this person's gonna finally fucking like blow their lid yeah and then getting to see her blow her lid is just like and then the fact that she's like still while she's doing it yeah like her she's not like laughing maniacally she's just like beep, beep, yeah. beep, beep, like a little toad <laughs> kicking things off their brain does it, the teacher think amy irving is up to no good. I, I was always a little confused by that. I think because she sees Amy Irving trying to run to make sure it doesn't happen. She's like, oh, I've been proven right this whole time. I knew Sue is going to is behind making Carrie look. Fo-. So she she thinks she's then she messes up because she stops her from uh, being able to yeah. help. Um, but. Uh, um. Do you think when those uh, assholes like collect the votes and like are making out, um, do you think that's how our election got stolen? Yeah, I know it is, but it was Melania Trump. When are we going to devote like an actual episode, Matt, to you and I laying out point by point how the election was stolen? It'll be over the break because we're we finally we've. That's why we're closed up our findings. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to organize it and yeah. Dot the I's and yeah. Um, So then, yeah, uh, the attack happens. We get some split screen. So cool. So cool. Um, Apparently he wanted to do more, but. Oh, really? That's just like read in the, yeah. in the research. Oh, interesting. More um, like screen so that there's three or just more like double screens? Yeah, more split screen segments, but that found that it didn't need as many as it as he would have planned on. Yeah, I mean, the the overwhelmingness of it is like, yeah, Uh, again, like it's just like it's not how a normal horror movie would be laid out. You would then now have like. The next 30 minutes would her be uh, 10 Little Indian style yeah. knocking off. And not exactly this, but it's yeah. just like her revenges would be more. Uh, but the um, uh, it is like uh, I know that there's that other book that Stephen King wrote that he doesn't have published anymore because it's basically like a proto Columbine thing. Mm, somebody, right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, bullied, but, uh, this, but I have been in position, maybe more with grown ups feeling constricted by their rules. Sure, yeah. And so I think, not that I wanted to, like, uh, set fire to the prom. But I think we got to talk about it. There has to be some like why people keep coming back to Carrie oh, is like the so. idea of like the misfit at high school getting revenge. All, everybody feels that way. Everybody's bullied and everybody bullies in some small way. So that's I, why the Amy yeah. Irving character, I guess, is really interesting because of what you said about we've been bullied, but we also bully. Yeah. Because her performance is kind of the best in that first scene when the teacher comes up and she's like, what are you doing? And she's like half laughing going like, we're making fun of care. Like, yeah. And then she's realizing, and then she's like, realizing like, this is so effed up what I'm doing. Yeah, and you don't even know. And, and often, you know, it's yeah, no, no I know, secret. You don't even know. You're like, you get, sorry. Well, and just bullies themselves are usually having been the most bullied. So everybody knows it. And, <laughs> and so it's just a human condition to want 
your people that cause you pain to have comeuppance. And so it's really satisfying to watch. Yeah. I would, people who wouldn't bully me, but I knew were the bullies, I would enjoy going and humiliating them. I had like a couple experiences, two Uh. or three experiences where I was like, I went up to the bully and like danced close to him in front of everybody to like, because, but it's, it's what you're saying. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, how did that humiliate him? <laughs> exactly. It's such a fucking weird. I would do it to like make my friends laugh. Oh, I see. Got you. Yeah. Like, isn't it funny that he's yeah. not, this guy would normally push somebody. Yeah. And I'm doing something that like, I'm not pushing him. Right. I'm like flipping his like homophobic switches. Oh, or I see. What you I'm mean. just yeah. like messing with him. And he probably goes home and has carry fantasies about getting you, you know? Well, it's like I did think like later after I would do that, I'm like, I'm enjoying that because I know he doesn't like to be embarrassed. Yes. So I am being a bully here. I'm like finding the soft point and then like picking at it. So, yeah. like, yeah, with Amy Irving, when you watch it, you're kind of like, I guess if I did that, I would be like, my boyfriend, will you go on a date with Carrie so this is made up? This is we can make up for this. Or it's interesting it's that she better? never thinks to go like, why don't I just become her friend? She doesn't have any female friends either. So why doesn't Amy Irving just go, hey, would you like to go to lunch or go right. shopping? Or <laughs> prom is so fucking extolled in this movie. It's almost like it's her. It has to the be whole that. world has been warped into thinking that like prom is the answer. That's probably so she's true. Like, yeah. If I get her to be prom queen or whatever that is what they're doing, yeah. like then yeah. then Carrie's life will be figured out. Right. Um but uh uh it does seem, you know, did I say Columbine already? Yeah. It is just like it is weird that like post Columbine this probably hits a little different. There is something about it. Being, it goes beyond. Well, also like not to stereotype. Oh, that it's a, girl. it's a woman. Yeah, it's not like a boy, ugly boy in a trench coat. Yeah, just an aggrieved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um. I mean, I think that's probably like the Stephen King has said this. He wrote Carrie. He threw it away. His daughter, his his wife, picked the pages out of the garbage. Wow. Read them. I was like, don't throw this away. Uh, and it speaks, yeah, to like the power of like everybody can, I mean, it's like what the final girl is too. It's just like everybody identifies with the, um, such a cool thing that these movies do. It gets everybody to identify with the marginalized, uh, woman in the, in the story. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, uh, yeah, the mom thinks Carrie was the product of the devil. The scare of the mom behind the door when she goes into the bathroom. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. That is one of the big scares. Like when she pops out, that looks almost like hereditary style. Like horror of like, (laughs) also the fact that Carrie takes a bath and doesn't want to take a second bath. I, I I would think you'd want to drain. There's no getting out of that bloody water and being clean. Yeah. That would be like if in psycho, Janet Lee, before she died, was like, wait a minute, hold on. And then she like stopped the drain so the blood could collect and then she could bathe it a little bit yeah. before she died. Yeah. yeah. Just there's like that. Yeah. You got it off your skin, but it's still all over you. I mean, hey, if I had been carrying, I was coming home, I'd just take a hot shower. Yeah. 
Um, did you it. do that, my buddy? After the show last night, did you come home? I didn't. Normally, I no, like to take it. I didn't. I was the reason so I did tired. is because I took a shower right before the show, and it would have been a little crazy. I to, did too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I remember I came once from home once from a, a really cold football game, mm. and I had made the mistake of I didn't dance with the person who brung me there. Oh, my friend. I was going to spend the night at his house. He brought me to the football game. Got there. This was fifth grade, maybe. A friend who's a water boy runs up to me. He's like, we're low on a water boy. You want to be a water boy tonight? Oh. It's like, do I want to be a fifth, sixth grader who gets to hang out with high schoolers, giving them water all night oh, in wow. front of the entire stadium of people going like, yeah. oh, that Paul Rust is pretty cool being a water boy. So I was like, yes, disappeared. The outline of my body is like gone <laughs> so I could be a water boy. And game's done. Bop over to my friend who brought me. I'm like, let's go spend the night at your house. He's like, no, I get it. He's being maybe irrational, but also yeah. he's fifth grader. Yeah. This makes perfect sense. Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I brought you to the football game. You ran off. This was supposed to be us hanging out. Yeah. So you went and took the easy prize of the water boy. He said, you're not spending the night at oh, my house wow. anymore. The whole ride home was my dad driving home, not because I went home with him instead, crying, oh. so sad, cold, because it was like a cold night. I remember when I came home, my mom had made chili. Mm. And when I watched the scene where Carrie is like coming home and she's like, you were right. They made fun of me. And like, she just wants her mom to cover and she doesn't. I was like, not me. I came home. I was like, Ugh. my mom was like, I made chili. Oh, just sit down and eat chili. And I remember oh. reading chili. You're like, yeah, it's okay. Me and my friend are going to work it out. And Carrie could have just had some chili. Yeah, if the mom had just come out from behind that door holding a big bowl of chili. Hormel chili. <laughs> uh, well, anything else to discuss? Well, just then the house collapses and it's amazing miniature work. And then yeah. the final twist, which we've pretty much already talked about, but it's, it's, it's incredible. It's such a good ending. Yeah. And ultimately, yes, this film wins me over. It just jars me from the beginning. So I've always had a complicated relationship with it, but yeah, that ending is uh, also just works because uh, it's like um, a fucking for sale sign that's been graffiti with Carrie White Burns in hell. Yeah, like not exactly that, but when you're a kid, you do grow up in a neighborhood with that shit kind of around you. Just yeah. like somebody going like, "What's that Onion headline?" It was like um, local neighborhood kids memorialize house where suicide happened. <laughs> It's just like when you're in the neighborhood, it's like things get known as like yeah. weird shit went down there. And so the feeling of like you could go back there and then how hands jump out at you, it's all fits. I've told on this podcast before that the house across the street from me is a murder house, right? <laughs> you know, or excuse me, first degree manslaughter house. Of some uh, kind. I mean, uh, I'm sure next door is a telekinesis house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it used to be. The one is built on top of it now. You know, the house class, he does like a lot of like poltergeist. Like there was yeah. a lot of houses getting sucked up. Yeah. Uh, uh, and miniature work like that. But also just telekinesis in general. I feel like if you made like an outline or a... A, um, a graph. Uh, what's the, like a graph that would be like a spike yeah. from a polygraph. Yeah. Kind of the graph. Graph. Uh, what you got here. Um, yeah. It's like, a, I feel like 
1976 to 86. If you looked at it, it would just be this insane spike of like telekinesis and then just drops back down. Yeah. Um, When was New Blood, Jason? 88. So after that, that was like the last gasp of telekinesis. Because that starts with Carrie, ends with... Yep. Rip off of Carrie. Yeah. Jason, yeah, which I guess all roads lead back to how Friday the 13th rips Man. things off. They yeah. did their Jason versus Scary when they couldn't do Jason versus it's Freddy. It's the James Bond franchise of the horror world. We love them. We love them. Do we have best kills for this movie? Oh, um, oh, well, we jumped over because probably we didn't want to think about it. Anything after the high school, that glorious slow motion, spooky yeah. ass. Slow motion, her walking out of a fiery gym. I know we wouldn't then get the shock ending, but if the movie ended on that, that's kind of like... Now, uh, the way she kills John Travolta is a little rushed, and the flippy of the image to make it seem like the car is flippy. We just don't have to think about that. Right. Uh, Piper Laurie is the best kill for me. Oh, yeah. That's mine, too. Okay. And then... Out of 13, let's do a solid yeah, recap. Yeah, solid here. recap. Okay, so we got the dead zone. I gave it an 11. You gave it an 11.5. Silver Bullet, we both gave nines. Max Overdrive, you gave a seven. I gave an eight. Misery, I gave a 12. You gave a 12.5. Um, the Running Man. I gave a 9.5. You gave an 8.5. Christine, I gave a 10. You gave an 11. Children, I'm counting the movies. Oh, Children of the Corn, you gave an 8, and I gave an 8. Cujo, I gave an 11.5. You gave it an 8.5. Now we're at movie number nine. Yeah. 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 Uh, Carrie. So, Carrie, out of 13. Uh, I'm going to go with a full 13. Wow. Uh, I think uh, it's a... Uh, and hey, didn't I love Misery so much? You did. What did I like more about Carrie than Misery? I'll just, can I say share real quick? Yeah. Um, when I watched Misery, when it got done, I remember thinking like, that is such a fun movie. I love Misery. Why isn't it a full 13 for me? I had to reflect later mm. about it, man. And I did think, I think it's because I can't take away from it a feeling of like, Uh, I've experienced that. I know that feeling or there was some, something said about people and how our feelings, how we work together or something. And, uh, as much as like fun misery is, and I could even look at it as like, Oh, people get in relationships like that where somebody's like hobble and person hobbles them. There's some things that are human in that. Carrie is just like so rich with like, experience and memory and feelings mm. and like i can even just appreciate why people love watching carrie is because they have this little carrie side of them that like they go to to get like feel better about that like elevates it just a little bit beyond mm. misery oh, i like that okay. that's good so what about you i think i'm gonna do a 10 okay and one I, to 10 is great yeah. on, a, on a scale of one to 10 10 is perfect <laughs> I think it ultimately comes down to De Palma's inspired at times, but he's also, for me, sometimes his own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. I can't tell what's what's 
selfish directing and what's tasteful art, artistic directing or even respect luck. your point of view on all of this, my and friend. And someday I hope to figure it out, but yeah. I may never. I probably never Somebody's will. Somebody's saying, hey, it gets in the way of the movie. That's a valid response. I get it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like... Yeah, anyway. Well, next week is The Mist. Yeah, and we pointed this out with the last week's episode that the way these the the series is ending was with the very first Stephen King adaptation yeah. ever, Carrie, and then the our most recent of the picks was The Mist. From- and we thought erroneously that that the fates were choosing it one after the, one alternating our picks, but we know now that it was it fate wanted it to be the earliest and the latest also with the four C's together, that that's what fate wanted. <laughs> Don't you see this, Matt? Fate all along had decided that the most oldest and most recent would be together after the C clusters. <laughs> oh, we were such fools that we could have seen that. The late stage C clusters. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I guess we have some sense of sort of like a sounds like we'll, child's play yuppie. Yeah, nightmare. that sounds good. Now, are you going to watch the black and white or the color mist? Well, I've seen. I only watched The Mist once. Yeah, me too. Before uh, this is your pick. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and I've me been too. wanting Jonesy to rewatch The Mist sometime, so I'm excited you picked it. Um, because I watched it previously in color. Why not watch it in black and white? Yeah, I think I will too. Because yeah. I've only seen it once in color as well. That's cool, and I don't think it would um, radically change the course of our conversation. It's not no. like a, there's a a plot point about the yellow handkerchief. <laughs> They're really like, no, we thought it was a uh, gray, kind of light. There's a, there's a blue bug that you got to look out for. <laughs> uh, well, well, I look forward to it. Yeah. Is that our first? Um, will that be our first discussion? No, our second Thomas Jane. Oh, Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea was yeah. our first Tom, TJ. But our first Marsha Gay Harden? <laughs> I think so. There you go. Uh, well, man, a pleasure as always. Yeah, same. Uh, uh, a carry, carry to you. A carry, carry to you. And a mist, mist next week too. Oh, you. I hope we don't miss the miss. <laughs> <laughs> For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to Patreon.com/slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.